control Shoveling dirt in every hole Predators to condemn your soul Watching you and watching me We're all connected but separated Misunderstood and so frustrated A million armies of one have invaded Watching you and watching me
let your experience begin right now. From high atop the mountains of British Columbia to you listening around the world, this is Spaced Out Radio. You can follow us on our website, spacedoutradio.com, on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio. Give our Facebook page a like, Spaced Out Radio Show. You can follow us on Instagram, Dave Scott, S-O-R, or on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. Buckle up, space travelers. It's time to go for a ride as we are live on Spaced Out Radio. Welcome to Spaced Out Radio tonight. I am your host, Dave Scott, and thanks for listening in at SpacedOutRadio.com, on Spreaker, and on Revolution Radio. We welcome you to tonight's show as we broadcast out of Uncle Jimbo's cabin right here in the Great White North, live on this Wednesday night, early Thursday morning if you're on the East Coast. Here at Spaced Out Radio, we do this thing every single night. That's because we want to be your official one-stop shop when it comes to the supernatural, paranormal, conspiratorial, ufological, and so much more. The guitar god Ron Bumblefoot Thal, formerly of Guns N' Roses, is the man behind our music. Bumblefoot is the official sound of SOR. You can follow us on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio. Give our Facebook page a like, Spaced Out Radio Show. On Instagram, you can follow me at Dave Scott SOR. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. Find us on TuneIn. Download our shows from iTunes. And of course, our website is spacedoutradio.com. At this time, we say hi. How are you to everyone flooding the chat rooms of the Revolution Radio on the High Plains Talk Radio Network in the Spaced Out Radio chat room on Spreaker? along with our fans at Facebook at Euphoria Chronicles, Chronicles of the Unknown, Force Moon Paranormal, and our flagship chat room, the SOR Space Travelers. If you haven't signed up for the SOR Space Travelers Club yet, it is time. It equals out to 5 bucks a month, and with that, your name gets entered into monthly prize draws. You get access to private group interviews, access to a special section on our website, and much more. Hey, we're going to give you a hell of a lot more than just access to our archives. While at our website, you can read our latest blogs and check out Eric Markham's SOR Spacewire for your latest and weird news. We also have a new feature on the site. It is called the SOR Sightlines Report. If you've had an experience and you want to investigate it, doesn't matter if it's Bigfoot, aliens, UFOs, paranormal, 
Our head researcher, Mike Schmidt, is going to give you a call. Just fill out a sightlines report, and we'll get back to you ASAP. All information is 100% confidential. Remember, if you are a listener of Revolution Radio, it is the largest nonprofit online radio station going today. Do us a favor. Take the time to visit freedomslips.com and donate today. The second Wednesday of the month is usually reserved for the crypto guru, Ronald Murphy. But unfortunately, Ron is suffering from a bout of strep throat and really doesn't have a voice right now. So it's kind of hard to go on the radio when that happens. But the show must go on. And we are extremely excited to have Allison Yellowney here to join us. Allison, I met just a couple of days ago on social media. Her story is incredible. It's an intriguing story that not only has affected her since she was a little girl, but her entire family as well. Growing up as a Cree First Nation, Allison grew up around the stories of spirits and legends and the way of life and the way it was a long time ago. It was a simpler life back then, learning from the elders on what life on the Canadian prairies was like. The stories that were told in lodges and around fires were amazing. But when she was seven years old, something changed. Contact was made. At seven years old, you expect to have a normal childhood, play with toys and friends, going to school, playing with your pets, combing your hair. Seven years old is way too young to be learning about those beings from the stars. Allison, now in her early 40s, has been in contact ever since. It's something she didn't ask for, and she's seen the good and the bad when it comes to alien contact. And for the next three hours, she's going to be right here with us telling her story. Allison Yellowneed, welcome to Spaced Out Radio. How are you? Hi there, Dave. Thank you so much. I'm doing fine. Hi, everybody. I'm really glad to have you because I think it's important when we can get people such as yourself on the air who have had that firsthand contact, whether it's positive, whether it's negative, and yours is a mixture of both, And I think it's really important for this show to continue on with the fact that we like to be known around here, Allison, and I like to brag about it a little bit, that this show is about the experience and the experiencer. I'm an experiencer myself. You're an experiencer. We have plenty of experiencers one way or another listening in our chat rooms besides the people who are just curious. Did you ever think in all your life growing up as a little girl before you were seven and started having these experiences, did you even know that extraterrestrials existed? No, actually, the only thing I remember seeing was, I think it was um, um, Fred Flintstone, the little the little um, alien that used to follow him around. That was the only thing that I'd ever seen before that about aliens, so or anything to do with UFOs. So before that, no, I had no idea. So take us through you growing up. You come from the Cree First Nation, which is a very heralded um, First Nation, right, in the uh, prairies. Well, see, my um, my family's uh, from Big Stone Cree Nation, which is uh, three and a half hours north of Edmonton. Um, I grew up in Slave Lake, but my experiences started in Wabasca, Alberta. Um, and, yeah, so I grew up, uh, we moved to Wabasca, uh, to be closer to family, I believe. And then we lived right across the street from the school. And we lived on a small trailer next to my grandmother's home at the time. So growing up on the Canadian prairie, way up north, 
you know, where the nights are longer during the winter, the days are longer during the summer. What did you do back then? What was life like growing up? Oh, well, we're always outside, of course, um, being my, my, you know, of course, my families were hunters. And so, you know, we'd be a part of the the hunting team sometimes going to travel with them. I remember staying in a teepee um, when my grandparents were hunting. Uh, so, you know, a lot of great memories of watching uh, my family do a lot of traditional things, you know, which I took for granted because I didn't realize how lost we are from that now. But um, at the time, yeah, it was, it was a normal part of life. And you know what? At that time, it was a cleaner part of life. The big oil boom in Alberta hadn't happened yet. The land was pretty much still quite untamed and unchartered. And for our American listeners and our listeners around the world who are listening in, the northern part of Canada is really a barren landscape. Yes, there is people up there, but they are far and few between. And 90% of Canada's population lives within 100 miles of the Canada-U.S. border. So in reality, Allison, you were literally living in the middle of nowhere, if we can use that term. Well, yes, Wabasco was was isolated at that time, for sure. It was was 130 kilometers away from the nearest town, which was Slave Lake at the time. Um, So, yeah, so let's just Slave Lake... uh, and uh, that's actually one of the largest lakes, or I think it's the largest lake in Alberta. So um, a lot of the activity that uh, we'll be talking about will be based around both of these lakes. So there's, um, I, I really believe there is a significance to the water in the north. And, of course, First Nations people, my thought. I mean, I didn't acquire that um, understanding or knowledge, of course, in my years of research as well. So, so Allison, when you looked back... And before you started having your experiences, when you would sit with your grandparents, your elders from the First Nation around there, did anybody ever talk about star beings or star people or visitors from above? No, they didn't. There was a lot of other myths, though, a lot of other talk about Bigfoot. You had mentioned that earlier. Um, There's actually some other um, scarier things, like they, I, I think it's pronounced the Wheatigo, some might call it the Windigo. Um, so those stories were very prominent in our area also. But nothing about UFOs, and I didn't understand any of it until, of course, as I mentioned, until I got older, then I realized my grandmother, and then I followed the path to find out that this was actually something very um, common in, our, in, our, in the nation. A lot of people had witnessed and had experiences themselves. So it wasn't very much talked about, yet people were having those experiences along the line of alien contact and UFOs flying, maybe landing around your area. Why do you think it was a topic, looking back on it now, that just wasn't discussed? I think a lot has to do with what we face even today, is the scrutiny and people not believing you. Um, And, of course, uh, being First Nation already, it's sometimes... You know, you already have that. Uh, there was a lot of racism even when I was growing up, but even still today, I experience that now. But um, so I, I found a lot of people just keep it quiet. And I would ask people questions like, why hasn't anyone talked about this? And um, it's, it's the same thing. They don't want to look like they're crazy or they don't want to be put in an institution or and it's just that common thought that everybody thinks they're crazy. <laughs> No, and and I can very much understand that, Allison, because 
I know when I started having my experiences five years ago, one of the first things I thought of was, who can I tell? Who do I talk to about this? And you don't want to be labeled as that person. It doesn't matter whether, you know, what your heritage is, what your sexuality is. It doesn't matter what your background is. The fact is, we all have to answer to someone, whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it's a a minister or a boss or somebody along those lines. And when you're having these experiences, as traumatic as they can be, it's difficult when you don't know whom you can talk to. That's exactly was the biggest problem. And even as I um, became an adult, it was the same thing. And I realized um, growing up, it's like having two lives. You've got this life of experiences that happened to you. It's uh, shaped you to the person you are. And then you've got the other life where you have to go to school or go to work and raise a family and pay bills and the real, the, our other life. <laughs> so it was like having two lives. And it definitely is. There was, it, was, it was not, and even today, I still have not merged the two. Um, so a lot of people I work with in my daily life today don't know about this. And maybe they will now if they're on my Facebook but um, so it's just a matter of, you know, I've been wanting to tell the story for a long time. Um, I've, a lot of my family have been on my side about this. We've talked about uh, con- um, collectively coming together and telling our story. So we've been uh, waiting for some opportunities, and this was actually a wonderful chance for me to start. <laughs> Why did you feel the need that at this time in your life it was time to get the message out and start telling the public about your story? Partly, um, I would have to say, is my own strength and getting over what I'd been through. Um, it was um, over the past, since, since 2001, has been when I felt like I've had control over my life. Um, and prior to that, I had no control over my life. I, I, these experiences were happening. I had no control over it. And it, it, that was the biggest, one of the you know, hardest things to go through. Um, over the past, you know, 10 years or so, I, I feel like I have control over my life. I don't have these experiences anymore. My life has shifted from all the scary paranormal stuff to a more loving spiritual life. And that is where my strength has come in. Um, and, and I'm not saying like, um, native cultural connection, but that has been a big portion of my, my strength, but also just, um, universal, uh, or, or the love. Um, <laughs> so there's just so much that I feel stronger as a person to come forward. And also I think of, I've held on to it for long enough that it's just time to, to talk about it and whether my family's ready for it or not, I'm ready to talk. Cause I, I don't want to go to my grave with this. Like my grandmother did, you know, she, she told a few people, but she never got to really share all of her stories. And I'm hoping that I can be her voice for some of those stories. Has your grandmother from the other side ever contacted you to say, hey, maybe it is time to speak? Um, no. Um, she passed away uh, in uh, 2012, um, and her last couple of years she suffered with dementia. So it was difficult to even get a conversation with her at that point. But um, prior to that, we did have a few uh, conversations about her experiences and why she never came out. Um, she was a strong businesswoman. She changed a lot, um, brought a lot of change to uh, Métis and First Nations people. Um, she's developed like um, 
a youth justice system and an elders committee. She did a lot for the community. So she didn't want to do anything that was going to tamper how people looked at her or saw her. And I totally understand that now because in my life, I'm also a professional person also. And it's really difficult to, you know, talk to somebody about this when we're talking business or anything to do with that. I and mean, it's not a topic you want to like bring out. <laughs> so yeah, knowing um, what she would have went through is kind of what I went through now. Where do you look inside yourself to garner the strength to finally decide it's time to come out publicly to talk about your extraterrestrial experiences? I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Where where do you find the strength internally inside yourself to feel that it is time to actually come out with your own extraterrestrial experiences? Well, um, so in, in my heart, I, I know that the information that I have is meant um, to learn from. Uh, there's, I know that I must hold some kind of key or some information because every time I try to tell my story, something happens. So I'm, I'm really surprised that this happened tonight. <laughs> and, um, and maybe it was best that it was a short notice thing because um, I found that every time I planned for something and worked towards it, the story never came out. Something happened. And one of my stories tonight will talk about what happened in 2001, which was a significant uh, change in where I, I, I stopped. And I said, okay, I'm not telling my story. I promise don't tell my story. Um, and then after everything stopped, I've had that, you know, many years of feeling that, okay, this is my life now. I don't have to worry about this anymore. Oh, now I could start to really focus on, on what did I learn from this? Why did this happen? Um, is it going to continue on with my children? Um, so there's a lot of things, and, and, I'm, and I'm hoping that through this, I will also learn how to um, deal with those possible future things that might come out of this with my children, because that's the biggest fear, because this has been something that's been in my family bloodline. The, of course, the biggest concern is now, are my children going to be? And if, if so, is it going to be the same experiences that I had, which were, were, um, they were not all positive, Right. So I it's it's more to bring awareness. And I feel like it is time with all the new disclosure stuff that, well, it's not new, <laughs> but disclosure and everything that's coming about and, and all the proof that's out there. I think the more and more stories that come out, the more people will start to open their eyes and say, you know what, maybe there is some there is some substance to this, in, this information, these stories. Maybe there is something about these stories. Maybe they're not crazy. So I'm just hoping that I'll just help bridge that gap, at least for other people, especially First Nations people, to come forward and say, you know what, this has been a part of our culture. Where we lost the information, I don't know. But tribes like the Hopi, they really believe in that connection, where in Cree um, and the others in, in Alberta don't really have much of that connection so or are not aware of it. And where it got lost, I would like to know. <laughs> Why do you think that there are tribes out there like the Hopi who really still stay away from the public eye? They have their own thing going on in Arizona and New Mexico, and they still stay and live the way that they've been living for thousands of years. Why do you think that they refuse to come and tell the stories about their connections with the star people or other First Nations refuse to tell their stories about the connections to the star people? Well, my belief and my thought about how the Hopi see 
the star people is that they are like our elders. They are to be respected. And we don't talk about our elders or talk about them in a negative way. Or um, So I can see that that point of it because there's a respect to have. Um, you know, in my culture, in Cree culture, um, it, it was not something that was really um, openly discussed or talked about. But I've heard of other people who are, who are medicine men or um, elders who talk about our connection. Um, but there's, I still have not yet found a person I can speak to directly face to face. I only hear of the person who knows somebody. (laughs) So do you, do you feel comfortable then, or do you, have you taken any backlash from people within your own first nation about coming out with this? Because, as oh. you've said, this is a big decision for you, and not only you, your family, your children, maybe future grandchildren. This is a huge story. This is a big step. Yes, and I always knew it would be. I always knew that once the story came out, um, it'll open up more doors. Um, hopefully it won't be closing any. <laughs> um, because, and, it, and I guess if it does, then it was meant to be. But the other thing was... Um, the the knowledge that I'm 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 learning over the years, and of course I don't do as much research as I did before. Um, I find that many times in my life I kind of go hard on research and I research everything, and then I'll go maybe about six months and not even touch the computer for internet stuff or um, UFO related things. Um, but I just need that balance. I think it is just so I can regroup and then come back to it again and realize, oh yeah, there, this is my passion. I need to. This has been a part of me. I'm, I can't deny this part of me anymore. Before we get into your ET abduction stories that happened at seven years old, and I, I, run, I want to dig deep into that tonight because this, your story is just so fascinating. I am very curious, though, as someone who has had interaction with two Sasquatch, what were you taught as a youngster about Sasquatch and the Wendigo in the Canadian prairies? Well, so I was, we, we always were told that Bigfoot has been a part of um, our culture as a spirit animal, like a spirit guide animal, but of course, not animal, sorry, but just a spirit. Um, it's hard to, it's, it's really interesting because I've heard different things and it's, not really big in our culture, like especially in, in where I'm from, but there have been sightings in the area. And I don't really feel that too many people feel there's a connection there, but I, I know there's, I feel like there is one, <laughs> but not everybody's on the same page as me. So growing up with that, um, people just thought it was a fable. With, with the other one, the, well, we, we called it, we, our pronunciation was Weechagoo. Um, he was, supposedly a cannibal spirit and we were always told you can't go outside at night because the week to do is out there we just thought it was a ploy to get keep the kids inside the homes right so uh you're not going to be wandering out there so we just thought it was a way for our parents to scare us um but of course and throughout my life i've heard different stories of those also the reason why i ask is i come from the lower mainland of british columbia and of course mm-hmm. the Chehalis first nation believes that Sasquatch is either a shapeshifter or an interdimensional being, one of the two. And 
for a lot of people who don't know, it's the Chehalis First Nation that actually came up with the term Sasquatch. Now, of course, my own ignorance right now, I can't remember what it means, but I will look it up for you. But one of the things that they were very strict on, and a lot of First Nations are still strict about that in British Columbia, and I'm curious if it's the same for you out there with you what you learned, Allison, and that is at night they never allowed their women to go out alone after dusk. And the reason being was they felt that there was more male Sasquatch than females. Therefore, if Sasquatch would take a wife, he would come down into the village and try and kidnap a woman. Have you ever heard stories like that? No, actually, no, we haven't. Um, There wasn't too many... uh Sasquatch stories in in our territory. Um, it, it's just been more of a recent um, find that I'm aware of. Um, so, because I didn't really live in, I, I moved away from the Slave Lake area in 1988. So I was only 16 years old. So I moved to the city of Edmonton, and I've been here since pretty much. Um, so, of course, growing up in the North, though, I, I didn't hear all the stories. So I'm not really familiar with uh, too many Bigfoot stories out there. Well, I can tell you this. It is extremely intriguing when you encounter one of them because it is just an amazing-looking creature. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure what it is, but I can tell you this. I would love the opportunity to see one again, and I hope I am lucky enough that it allows me to see it. Let's get mm-hmm. into let's let's get into you now because this isn't about me and my cryptid fetish that I seem to have with Bigfoot. <laughs> you're seven. Um, you're seven years old, and up till this certain point in life, you never knew aliens existed. Let's go back in time to the 1970s, late 1970s. What happened? Okay. Um... So I was, um, there was four of us in a small mobile home and it was next door to my grandmother's house. And my grandmother had this, uh, approximately about five to seven acres of, um, lakefront property. Um, and there was a bit of a cliff that went down to the lake. So, um, this particular night, it was, uh, I remember that there was just a, a small blanket, uh, of snow on the ground and, um, Wabaska is 130 kilometers uh, from Slave Lake, and it was all gravel road at that time. There's only one way in and one way out. So um, at this time, it was approximately, I'm guessing it was about 5 or 6 p.m. that my mother had left the home. She left with my aunt, um, and they were going to Slave Lake. And um, it was called Midnight Madness, where they go shopping until midnight. But they didn't stay out that late. So I'll just kind of back up to their, what they did first. So they first were going to save lake and they're going to do shopping and then come back. Um, so what happened with us is uh, my mother left the house and there's four of us in the home. There's myself, my brother, Darren, he was five years old. My brother, um, Stephen, who was only seven months old. And we had a cousin who was babysitting us. Her name was Glenda. I had asked her to be here tonight, but she's um, up north in Wabasco where I'm talking about this community. Um, so she was 13 at the time. And uh, so she was babysitting us. And 
this was a small mobile home and my back was, uh, we're sitting on the couches and I was, my back was facing the lake. Um, and all of a sudden I could see lights hitting the walls of the trailer, um, up in the, in the living room. So I thought that was really odd because I remember there was no lights behind us. It was the lake behind us. So when I looked out the window, I started to hear this, this humming noise. It was a really deep humming noise. It was um, like a vibration. I can't really, I'm not very good at sound effects, but it was like, ooh, ooh, like this um, high, low, high, low frequency. And as it was coming down, um, I, all I could see was the underside of this UFO. I, I, I didn't know what it was. All I saw was this black uh, disc coming down and it was about the tree line and all of a sudden as it was getting louder the home started to shake violently we had um of course pictures on the wall and um you know other things all like ornaments and everything everything was falling off the cabinets uh the walls were everything was shaking and it was just instantly and i remember us running around the home with our hands over our ears because it was so loud it was not really that it was loud it just hurt our ears um, but the intensity, we can feel it this, um, in, in our chest. Like, well, I could feel it. Um, and we're running around frantically and screaming. And it was almost like, I, I call it chopped um, chopped memories because it wasn't the full memory of the night. It was chopped. So uh, we're running around frantic. Um, things are falling off. The next moment, I'm under the kitchen table with my brothers, the one in the walkers crying for me to grab him to carry him but we're all scared also and we're all under the table and um the next moment now my brother darren's not with me no more and we're we're actually yelling for his name and we couldn't find him um and then the next moment we're back sitting down on the couches again and he was crying a very um soft cry my cousin was sitting in the corner on the floor in the in the fetal position and my little brother was in his walker, but he was kind of slumped over. Uh, after that, I, I was looking outside the window. And now I actually was looking out towards the lake, and I could see the UFO. It was saucer-shaped. It had, um, I always describe it as like a belt of color that was going around the midsection, and it was uh, circulating, circling the, the craft so that uh, rays, the colors are shining outwardly. But it was also, what was interesting was that there was also um, a streak of white light or a beam that came out of the middle of the craft, and it was sucking up water from the lake. Um, and I remember seeing that. Then, it, then after it did, it sucked up the water, it was just vanished. It was gone. Um, and, and it seemed like just moment after moment. And then after that, my mother walked in the door, and I thought she had just left. I thought maybe... She saw the UFO and she turned back around because um, from where our home was and the distance from our, the home to where the main road was, was probably about 30 kilometers. And once you get to that main road, you can actually see the point of my property um, from the main road. So I thought in my mind that she was only gone for like 20 minutes or so. So when she, um, when she walked in the door, we said, mommy, mommy, did you see the UFO? There's a UFO. And, and uh, she was looking around the home very upset because clearly the home was a disaster. <laughs> so she was more upset about the home being a mess and she was saying, what the heck happened here? What's going on here? Um, and my cousin was in the corner of the room and she was in the fetal position. She was rocking and my mom was trying to get her attention. She was yelling, Glenda, Glenda. And she did not even respond. And 
my brother and I were both saying, mommy, mommy, there's a UFO. And she didn't even listen to us. And she looked over at my brother, little baby, and said, what's going on with Stevie? What's wrong with Stevie? And so when she picked up Stevie, she um, had him resting on her shoulder and she was patting his back and saying, what's wrong? What's wrong? And, and he was, his lips were turning blue. And, and um, when I looked at him, um, all of a sudden I saw his eyes roll up and I didn't, all I saw were the whites of his eyes at this point, And he started to have a convulsion um, while he was in my mother's arms and his arms were straight out and his legs were straight out. His eyes were rolled up. His mouth was wide open. It was a scary sight to see that. I think for myself, that was just as traumatizing to see that as what we had just endured. Um, so when my mother was trying to um, look at my son or her, my, my brother, she was screaming and asking my, my cousin to go get my grandmother. Um, but Glenda had just finally snapped out of her trance or whatever she was in. And she started screaming also, because we're all screaming now. Because when we saw that, we all started screaming and getting really upset again. So the home was back in chaos mode. And um, just as my cousin was getting up to go get my grandmother, my grandmother was coming up the walk. And she was coming to check on us because she had seen the UFO also. So when she came in, she um, my mother handed the baby to my grandmother's lap. And they looked down at the baby and they saw, oh, my God, like I've never seen a baby look like this and so she said okay let's take him next door now we didn't want to go outside um we were terrified like my grandmother was literally dragging us to go to next door to the house um and I remember like we're holding all for dear life like um and she's dragging us to get to the house (laughs) um when we all finally got into the home uh they laid my brother on the kitchen table and they're trying to do mouth to mouth they didn't really know what they were doing um, and so they called my aunt, uh, who happened to be visiting. Um, so she was the one who went with my mother to the, to the town. Um, when they called her into the room, she tried to do mouth to mouth and she said, it's not getting any oxygen. So meanwhile, I'm in the living room with all the other kids, me and my, my other brother and my other four cousins. Um, so we're all huddled together crying. Um, cause they also had witnessed the UFO from the grandmother's, from my grandmother's house. So they were also still very scared. And then of course to have all of us come screaming into the house, right. Um, that didn't make many matters easier for anybody. So as we're in the other room, I was listening to what my aunt was saying and she was saying he's not getting any oxygen. And, um, she said, wait, there's something in his throat. And so she proceeded to scoop something out of his mouth with her hands, her fingers, and then after that, um, she was able to get a uh, passageway through and she got him breathing again. Um, and he started coughing and crying and we all were crying in relief. And um, so then from there, my mother and aunt got back into their truck and they drove back to Slave Lake and left us with my grandmother. And so we didn't know what to do. I just remember we did not want to sleep. We were so scared. Um, and so while my mom and aunt were on their way to Slave Lake, we were in the bedroom all in, uh, the bedroom was a big bedroom. It had two beds in it. And so we're all huddled into two beds and they're telling us what, what they saw. And they also saw the lights and, and, and heard the sounds, but they didn't really know what we had went through. Um, so that was, uh, pretty much, um, 
the memories that we have of that night. My brother and I actually didn't talk about this until about 1999 when we said, do you remember that night when Stevie almost died? And then we just, that was it. That just opened up the doors and we had the same memory. Um, and then we started to ask questions. We asked um, my cousin, um, she has no memory of the UFO experience whatsoever, but she remembers what happened after with my brother's near-death experience. Um, she doesn't remember how, she says she has no memory of her childhood whatsoever, actually beyond that point. Um, so really, whatever happened to her that night, she has no memory of her childhood. Um, and this is something that, um, I'll tell you a bit later of people that I've met along the way <laughs> who kind of enlightened me in this night. Um, just from people I've met on the street, uh, interesting things. I've had so many message messengers come my way, um, and tell me different things about this night. Um, so I, I'll, my mother, of course, an aunt are in Slave Lake, and he was admitted to the hospital, and that was October 7th, 1979. Um, so the date was, um, significant, because that's, of course, the, the, and the only way we got that date was actually calling the hospital and getting the information, you know, to find out, because my brother was able to get that information. Um, can I ask you, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but I'm very interested in your little brother getting this. Did we ever find out what was in his throat at that time? And when they got to the hospital, how did they explain it to the doctors what had happened? Yes. Um, so my, I interviewed my aunt in, in 2001. Um, I interviewed a lot of people at this point. I'll tell you why later. Um, so my aunt um, explained to me that she said it was a thick white foam. It wasn't like a typical saliva foam that a person would have with a seizure or anything like that. She said it was a thick foam that was um, very sticky. And she couldn't really even, because she's never had seen anything like that before or since. She couldn't even explain it. And I tried to ask her to explain the color, the substance, all those things, she didn't really have a recollection because of just the adrenaline of, of the panic and, and, and fear. So she doesn't really have much memory of even her doing those actions. She just knows that she was trying to get him to breathe again. The reason why I'm very interested in that is I have a three-year-old son, and he has been abducted twice, Bo both times with his mother. And coincidentally, one of those times I was actually doing this show when it happened. Wow. Yes. So it is, that's the beauty of broadcasting out of my, sh uh, out of my own home, is apparently when I am doing this show, alien abductions are happening upstairs right from me. And I mean that with no sarcasm whatsoever. No. So, so if and anybody, everybody's that. questioning that, you know, you can talk to my wife, Mrs. Spaced Out Radio. But I've actually had it confirmed through a friend who uses a uh, Barry Strom, who will be our guest tomorrow night. He is in connection with an extraterrestrial spirit named Moo, and he talks to Moo through a spirit board. And Moo, spelt M-O-U, has actually stated that my son, he actually confirmed that my wife said, I believe that she, that our youngest had been taken twice with her. And Moo, without any details, on the other side through the spirit board, had actually confirmed that it was twice and that it would never be happening again for him. 
They only wanted to take him twice to take measurements and just make sure he was okay. So, I mean, hearing your brother go through this, immediately I felt that emotion of, oh my God, my son has been taken. And they're, you know, relatively, how old was your brother at this time again? Uh, he was seven months old. Okay, so my son was first taken at six months old and then at eight, 18 months old. Wow. So very, very close together. And, you know, sometimes you just, I, the beauty of this show, Allison, is sometimes I get to sit on my edge of my seat because this is why I said to you before the show, I don't want to know anything. I want to feel the same thing as our audience is. And I am just, I'm blown away right now. Now, for people who don't understand, Allison, you know, we talked about how desolate the area you grew up in. There was no ambulances or anything like that. You were literally, as a family, left on your own to deal with this. That's right. There was not even street lights in, in this community. You're lucky if you had a property light, and only a few people had running water at this time. My grandmother was one of them. Um, so there, there was, uh, yes, very few. There was a nurse's station that only was um, manned uh, you know, several hours out of the day not on, you know, an evening at this time of night. So, yes, we had to drive, and it was dirt road, of course, gravel road all the way, 130 clicks all the way to Slave Lake. That was the nearest um, nearest place for any emergency. So continuing on with your story, you're, you're in bed at seven years old with your other siblings. Your mom and grandmother are down in Slave Lake, or Slave Lake, pardon me, at the hospital getting your little brother looked at. Continue on. Yeah, so, um, my, of course, there was no, you know, no cell phones back there, so it, there was not too much communication back and forth. But um, so my, my father and my uncle were actually hunting across the lake. Um, so they weren't even around. Um, so my aunt and my mother were in slave lake. My grandmother was watching over all of us, us kids. Um, and then uh, us kids started to talk about what had happened. Now, none of us slept that night. I know that. Uh, and when we finally got up, we're all looking outside as a collectively as a group. We all felt safer together. So we all were walking around looking for any sign of this UFO. We're looking for um, footprints. We didn't know what we're looking for. Right. Um, and we didn't come up with anything. But at this time, we had I saw my father and my uncle coming across the lake. Like from where we were standing, we could see the lake and that they were coming back. So we ran to um, the edge of the cliff. And I as my father was coming up the cliff, I was rambling. I said, Dad, Dad, did you see the UFO? Did you see the UFO? Because I figured he would have. He was across the lake. And where he was, he should have been able to see the UFO, even when it was sucking up the water, because it was kind of right off of the, the cliff slide there. So I thought for sure he would have seen it, but my father didn't see it. So, you know, I said to him, Daddy, Daddy, there was a UFO, and Stevie almost died. And, and right away he said, what? what? Back up there, what did you say about Stevie? And I, I rambled on again. You know, Dad, there was a UFO, and then this happened, and the house was shaking, and then Stevie was, <laughs> I was rambling. And he dropped everything ran to the house and got the information from my grandmother and got into the truck and he drove to Slave Lake also. So I'm standing there like, Dad, Dad, there was a UFO. <laughs> uh, but he, he didn't, um, of course, he didn't really believe it. And at that time, the topic just stopped. Nobody talked about the UFO because of how, how much it affected our family and how much my, my brother was affected. 
and um, uh, my mother moved us immediately. So we moved back to Slave Lake at that point. But the experiences didn't stop there. Um, it, it continued on in my life from that point on. And I didn't know. I just, I was, you know, I remember, I'll tell you a story of what happened um, in the following year. So that I was, I was grade two at that time. And in, in grade three, we had to uh, do a, a little assignment, and it was we were supposed to write a story about um, what was the most memorial experience that we've had. People were writing about the trip to Disneyland or the pony they got for their birthday. Well, I'm eight years old, and I'm writing about my UFO experience. <laughs> oh, no. How did that go over in school and in class? It didn't go over well. The way the teacher did um, did the uh, uh, announcement of our marks is she would post them on the on the on the board. So we all had to run up to the board to find our story and to see what our mark was. And I had a big F on mine, and I started to cry. I was a very shy girl. Um, I built, dealt with a lot of racism in that school, and um, and of course they disciplined us in school back then also and I got disciplined a lot um for for being too shy maybe I don't know <laughs> uh regardless um while I was picking up my assignments it was the big F I sat down at my desk and I cried and she said I want to talk to you for a moment and so I went and talked to her and she said to me I have to tell you that that was a remarkable story I think you're going to be a great fictional writer one day and you have such great detail and for your age, you have so much detail there. It's amazing. She said, but I wanted you to write something real. And I said, this was real. This really did happen. And uh, she said, really? So why are they, why do you think they're here? And I just, like, with no hesitation, I said words that I never even knew existed at the time. <laughs> I said, I said, Wabaska is abundant with natural resources. And they are here for natural resources. And I said this, and I didn't even know what natural resources was at that age. I didn't know what abundant meant. Um, so I, I didn't know where all that information came from. But she looked at me and she said, hmm. And at that time in, in Wabasca in 1979, there was nothing there. It was just a small Native community. Um, it was surrounded by a reserve. And um, and there was nothing happening in this, in this um, area. But I did find out some information about that time frame. Uh, Jacques Cousteau was actually sweeped the lake twice looking for a sea monster, apparently. So that was the only thing that we ever had for any type of uh, news in Wabasca. But um, it wasn't until about the, I think it was 1991 or late 80s that they started to really look at the oil and, and gas in the, Wabas in the Wabasca area. And that has become a very big area for natural natural resources and it actually is the back side of uh, other side of um, Fort McMurray so it was divided by the river basically and we're on the other side of the river so it's interesting that I would know about the natural resources even before anybody else did I find that absolutely amazing. So continuing on with what your teacher said, when you told her there was natural resources here that kind of made the space family come on down and, you know, ruffle the feathers, so, so to speak, did you get an eye roll? Did you get laughed at? Because, I mean, let's face it, kids and teachers back then could be very cruel. 
Yes. Um, thankfully, I didn't have to read it out to the class or the class didn't know about what my story was about. Um, she didn't say too much after that. Um, I just remember going home and was very upset. And then my mom asked me why, and I told her why. And she said, why would you write about that? <laughs> but that was the most memorial experience I had. So that's why I wrote about it. You only did what you were told. And, and at eight <laughs> years old, of course, you're going to tell, you know, the story of what happened to you when you know, your summer memories come back. I mean, why wouldn't you mention that? It was it was a moment for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know. um, and, yeah, and at that time still, the family, none of us knew what was happening, like, around us. But I do have other memories that surfaced later on. I was able to put some pieces together. So in the same time frame that I was living in Wabasca, I had two other memories that happened before this experience. And the first one was, and of course I didn't understand what it was until later on, but my my grandmother called me out one night and she said, look up in the sky. And I looked up and we saw UFOs up in the sky, but like orbs. And they were zigzagging through the sky, like miles across. There's no way anything can travel that fast. And of course in the north, um, the the stars are brighter. Um, It's darker up there also. Um, But it's, it's, what we saw was amazing. There's no way that these, um, if it was a plane or anything could go that fast, nothing. Um, and I remember she said to me, don't be afraid. And after that, she had, she was really focusing on the Catholic religion and that was going to be our protection. So she was really, really big on, on religion with this. And, um, a lot of it was, she was making me feel, I guess, comfortable, you know, wearing a crucifix or whatever. Um, another, uh, I'll share another experience was, uh, I was sitting, um, near the chicken coop. My grandmother was in the chicken coop. She was picking out eggs and I was sitting there and my cousin was, um, sorry, my uncle was, um, hanging around doing some yard work and he must've been about 18 years old, I'm guessing. And he started to sneeze like three or four times and he started to scream. He was, he was, he was holding onto his nose and he was yelling, Oh my God. Oh my nose, my nose, and, and I'm looking at him, and I, I see all this blood coming out of his hands as he's holding on to his nose, and he was digging into his nostril, and as he was digging in, he pulled something out, and he was still bleeding profusely, and, and uh, he had a, a, he showed me what he had in his hand, and it, was, it looked like um, a hook, a little bit of a metal hook, and it was really strange. I, I can't really describe the rest of it. I only remember looking at the hook part of it. Um, and then he went to go tell my grandmother. And uh, he said, Mom, Mom, look at, look, what, look what I pulled out of my nose. And her response was actually, I laugh at her response. She says, what did you put that up there for? <laughs> um, of course, you know, not, none of us knew anything about implants. Um, so she just assumed that he, he had put a metal piece up his nose and, but where did he get it from? You know, nobody knows. You mentioned, and we only got about four and a half minutes left before we go to break here. You mentioned quite a bit during this experience, while the UFO was hovering over your house, you mentioned a lot about trances. Could you describe what you meant by the trances that everybody seemed to be in? It, it was almost like we were there, but nobody was, like after we, I don't want to use the word came back, because what I was told, I, I'll go back to that story. What I was told 
um, is that from other witnesses, because I'm, I'm, in 2001, I was doing a project and I was interviewing a lot of people. I had many people come forward to tell me about this particular night. And people said that they saw the UFO appear twice, hours apart. Um, and that the RCMP were called and the whole community of Wabasca saw it and that they all followed the RCMP knowing that he was going to my grandmother's house. So apparently there was a train of vehicles coming towards my grandmother's house when the UFO disappeared. So um, they saw it as they're approaching the home and then it vanished. So that's probably the same time that we had seen it. But um, yeah, so that was, that was something that was really um, significant uh, to mention also. Um, and there was a local uh, reporter. Um, he used to run a newspaper called the Lakeside Leader and the Scope. And I actually contacted him also to, to see if he had any information about about these experiences. And he said, I actually wrote a story about that. And I wanted to look for it. And, you know, Stravick had a big fire there um, many years back. <laughs> Everything got lost in the fire. Yeah. Where was your grandmother when things were happening? You mentioned that it was your mom and your siblings that were in the home at the time, and your home was on Grandma's property right next door. Where was she? Oh, so we had a cousin who was babysitting us. Um, my mother and my aunt uh, were in Slave Lake, and it was my grandmother who was watching over the other kids, like my cousins, in her home. And yes, and I was at the trailer with my cousin who was babysitting us. So, so did she see the UFO as well? Was her house shaking as well? I don't think her house was shaking because it was an actual house. Where ours was a mobile home, and and as talking about people who I've met along my journey have all had some reasons and understanding as to why our home was shaking violently like that. Was it about the magnetic field that would have came down with the UFO, causing that metal home to be vibrating? Um, and my grandmother, um, I just know that they know, she knew something was happening because they all seen it also. Yeah. So as we come up to break here in just a couple of minutes, was this the first experience that you had ever heard of at that point? Had anybody ever talked to you previous to this? Was there any, you know, play talk or anything? Watch out, the, the aliens will come down and get you or anything like that? No, nothing. Um, not not at my age, but from what I understand during, during um, interviews of people, that there had been a lot of UFO activity in the Wabasca area for many years and a lot of UFO landing spots that left a burn mark on the property and grass never grew back in that spot for many years. Um, there's a, supposedly a person who actually has a picture of this Polaroid picture that's never shown it. Um, so they're still holding on to it within their family. Um, there was also many sightings of the UFOs on the lake. Um, Cause we also had um, of course a lot of frozen time <laughs> um, in, uh, in Wabasca, of course, being further north, we have, a longer winter. Uh, so there was uh, talks of UFOs landing on the lake, on the ice. And, um, yeah, it was actually very, very common. And more people have had other experiences, not just really UFO-related, but just 
other occurrences that were kind of similar. Uh, one couple talked about sitting on the lake one 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 night, and they looked up and they thought they saw um, uh, a meteor coming at them. And next thing they know, it was a giant planet, and they thought we're going to collide. And then they woke up um, hours later. Um, so there was a lot of stories that came out when I was researching this. So mine was not even the only one. Um, there was many. On that note, I'm going to get you to hold on. Allison Yellowney is our guest tonight on Spaced Out Radio. More on her alien abduction right after this. Looking for news beyond the mainstream news? Head to spacedoutradio.com and check out the SOR Spacewire. This is Spaced Out Radio's Eric Markham, news director for the SOR Spacewire. Daily, I will bring you intriguing stories and outlandish reports from what's going on around the world. UFO sightings, paranormal activity, conspiracies, alternative health, and so much more. And if you have news, email me at news at spacedoutradio.com. Hi there. I'm Butch Witkowski, lead investigator with U4COP. On the final Monday of every month, you can listen to me and host Dave Scott on Spaced Out Radio's Strange Days. We're going to get to the heart of the matter when it comes to what's happening out there. People are seeing and experiencing things from ET contact to Bigfoot, and I want to hear about it. Your experiences are what we investigators need to help solve these unknown mysteries. So tune in at spacedoutradio.com. Have you had an experience you can't explain? Had a run-in with ghosts, maybe Bigfoot, or seen lights in the sky? Hi, I'm Mike Schmidt from the SOR Sight Lines. I'm here to investigate your sighting. Head to spacedoutradio.com and fill out a report on the sight lines. All your information is 100% confidential, and I will help you figure out what you've been seeing. File your report, and let's find out the answers together. Visit purpleplates.com today. For over 40 years, the Purple Energy Plates have been delivering amazing results for their many customers. Inspired by the great genius Nikola Tesla, the harmony, healing, and energetic effects of the plates have proven over and over to be beneficial and often miraculous to thousands of customers. With their money-back guarantee and the many benefits, how can you afford not to get one? Check their site for daily specials and choose from their many energy products. You won't be sorry. Visit them today at purpleplates.com for mind, body, and spirit, and expect a miracle. Strange creatures lurking in the night, the sounds of wood knocking in the forest, odd happenings right out of a fictional world. These are the reports I love. Hi there, this is author Ronald Murphy, and I would love it if you'd join me and Spaced Out Radio host Dave Scott the second Wednesday of every month on our journey into the unknown land of cryptozoology at spacedoutradio.com. From Mothman to Frogman and everything in between, hey, they don't call me the crypto guru for nothing. Are you interested in advertising on Spaced Out Radio? Head to our website at spacedoutradio.com and click on our advertising tab. There, you will find an assortment of ways you can get your product out there with us, from radio commercials to banners and social media. Have a product you like our hosts to endorse? We can do that too. Visit spacedoutradio.com for more details. From British Columbia to Northern California, Pacific North Weird has Cascadia covered. Check out our feature videos at spacedoutradio.com, where I... 
Vincent Zunza, and my super sleuth partner Alexandra Sullivan track down the weird and strange stories from around the Pacific Northwest, from Bigfoot to Mel's Hole and everything in between. This is what makes life exciting. So why report the normal when we can report the Pacific North Weird? Right here at spacedoutradio.com. Oh, there's only one way to rock. Loud and proud. In high definition. Radio 702 Rocks. Las Vegas. Have you ever had an extraterrestrial experience? One you just couldn't explain? Well, maybe I can help. Hello, I am Samantha Mullet. On the second Tuesday of each month, I will join Dave Scott on Spaced Out Radio to bring a human aspect to ET contact. It's something I've lived with my entire life, and I'd love to help you understand. Let's share our experiences. The ET experience, the second Tuesday of each month, only on Spaced Out Radio. Hi there, this is Jolene with Rivulet Reiki and Readings, and I want you to relax. Let me help you chill out and get in touch with your body, mind, and soul. In this busy world, sometimes we need to let go, and this is where I can help. Visit my website, rivuletrnr.wix.com forward slash rivuletrnr. Every Saturday and Sunday night, as Dave Scott wanders aimlessly in the wilderness, you can come hang out with me, James Tyson, and Spaced Out Weekend. Starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, I'll take you along as we talk with some of the best experts in their fields. SpacedOutRadio.com is the place to find us. So sit down, relax, put your feet up, enjoy the topics like the paranormal, supernatural, intuitiveness, and so much more. Hope to see you there. Hi there. This is your psychic medium, Joanna, and I would love it if you would join us every other Sunday on Spaced Out Weekend. With host James Tyson, we'll bring you personal psychic messages on two mediums and a large. Questions about love, life, career changes. We would love it if you would come and join us live. Call in and listen in for the experience. Allow us to open the doors to your other side. Two mediums and a large. Heard only on Spaced Out Weekend at spacedoutradio.com. Would you like to become one of our space travelers? All you have to do is click on the space travelers icon at spacedoutradio.com. For only $5 a month, you can get access to some great prizes, as well as private monthly shows, newsletters, and a members-only section on our website. Become a space traveler today. Do you have a topic or a guest that you'd like to hear on Spaced Out Radio? Let us know at spacedoutradio.com where you can sign up to become a Space Traveler member today. Or you can find us on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio, and on our Facebook page, Spaced Out Radio Show. Welcome back to Spaced Out Radio tonight. I am your host, Dave Scott. If you're listening in on Revolution Radio... Remember, the Double R Machine is a donation station financed by you, the valued listener. Do us a favor, visit freedomslips.com and donate today. Bill Cardwell and the SOR Space Travelers Club has set their password for tonight, anesthetize. Anesthetize. Ah, I can never say that word. And I knew I was going to butcher it. Darn it. Anesthetize. You know when they put you under while you're in surgery? That's the word that I'm trying to pronounce. That's the SOR Space Traveler's password. If you're an SOR Space Traveler, make sure you use it wisely. If somebody asks you what's it for, you say exactly. 
It's all about the password. Thank you, Bill Cardwell. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at Spaced Out Radio. Give our Facebook page a like, Spaced Out Radio Show on Instagram. I can be followed at Dave Scott, S-O-R. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. Tune us in on TuneIn. Find this show right afterwards or any other of our shows on iTunes and our website is spacedoutradio.com while there you can join the SOR Space Travelers Club it's only five bucks a month as well you can read up on the SOR Space Wire check out our latest blogs listen to our favorite musician Ron Bumblefoot Thal formerly of Guns N' Roses Bumblefoot is the official music of this show and of course if you've had an experience sign up for the SOR Sightlines report we want to hear your report Mike Schmidt our resident investigator will be contacting you all information is 100% confidential tomorrow night on the show Barry Strom will be back with his channeling board we're going to be talking conspiracies through Moo his alien friend. Tonight we are talking alien abduction. Alice in Yellow Knee had an experience around 1979 with her and her family. It is traumatic. And if you miss the first hour, you're definitely going to want to hear the repeat of this show. It's an amazing story. We bring Allison back in right now. Allison, welcome back. Thank you. You have a question here from Annette. I think she's your cousin. Oh, okay. She is asking, (laughs) Allison, do you know if you're going to hold that event that was supposed to be held at the River Cree about a year and a half ago? (laughs) Um, I'm hoping that eventually in the next year or two I'll be able to host another one of those or or try try it again. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? It was, you know, I think you need to hold an event. Now, I want to get into this whole experience with you, but... I think it's kind of interesting to kind of go down that track right now because Annette brought it up. Thank you, Annette. Appreciate that. Okay. You have tried to hold different sorts of events over the last number of years, but for some reason, it seems like they, and if you saw me right now, I'm pointing up to the stars, they don't really want you to do that. What's going on there? Why haven't you been able to hold one? I I really don't know. I I really thought this last... Uh, last one would have worked out really well. I had a great lineup of uh, presenters, uh, Travis Walton, Daryl Sims, Yvonne Smith, Peter Robbins. Um, I had, so they were all going to be here. I was really excited about that. Um, and I was really relying on uh, ticket sales to make it happen. And I was actually in the process of selling my home and I had expected it to have sold prior to the event and it didn't. <laughs> So I couldn't even use the proceeds of my home sale to fund the program, the, the event. Um, regardless, it was something I just put on the back burner and figured I would try it again another time um, with the same lineup of people. Do you find that frustrating considering that you, here you are trying to get that message out and it just seems to be roadblock after roadblock and really it sounds like it's things that are totally out of your financial control. That one was definitely the second or the one that happened in 2001. Um, I actually was working on a documentary um, and it was called Northern Encounters uh, and on uh, first nations abduction stories. Um, so I had a space channel and APTN were very interested in, in, in the rights of this project. It was going to be the first First Nations UFO-based project at that time. Um, and so it was a, a 
big hot seller. People wanted that story. Um, and while I was working on that story, something happened. Um, but I'll share that for later because that's some, that's the last story. <laughs> um, what I wanted to get into is um, what happened a year later when I was eight years old. Um, and now I was living in Slave Lake. Let's go there. What happened when you were eight? Now, between the ages of seven and eight, from the first experience to the next one, did you see any other UFOs? Was there any other sightings around your reservation? There was always a lot of um, sightings, but no one really talked about them. Um, but in at that time, of course, I wasn't aware of anything because at my age, we didn't know what was happening outside of our classroom or our own house, right? So we didn't really have too much knowledge of what was happening out there. But um, I, at this time, I, I didn't really feel like there was anything really different about me or about things that were happening until this particular night. Um, I don't remember the exact uh, time frame it was. Um, I remember just being eight years old and... And it was, I called, I used to call my experiences wake dreams. Uh, it was the only way that I could explain the feeling that I had when I was um, having an experience, but I was already awake, but then I woke up from being awake and it, I, I couldn't understand it or I couldn't even put words into explaining what that was. But so I had what I called a wake dream. Um, or I was, I, my parents were in the living room and they told us to go to bed. It was bedtime. So my house, I wish I um, had a doodler, you know, a doodle, like a doodle and show you. Um, but at the end of our hallway was the wall and that led outside. And my bedroom was on one side of that wall and then my brothers was on the other side. Um, so I went to bed, but then I, I was like, I, I woke up. I was, I just laid down and I, all of a sudden I woke up on a stretcher like bed, stretcher, but like that. I couldn't move. Um, and it was dark. It was dark and echoey. Um, I remember uh, looking around, but I couldn't really move. I, I could just move my eyes. Um, I, I, I could see that there was a light source above my head, but I couldn't see the light. Um, and onto my left, which I could see by moving my eyes, there was another girl and she was laying over there and she had a light above her head also and observing the room I was in um, it looked like transparent curtains that were dividing us and um, all I could see is those um, it looked like you no know, old shower curtains you know the clear ones and um, I, I remember laying there and I couldn't move and I, I looked over at her and I she's crying and as she's crying it's echoing in this in this dark room I honestly felt like I was in a cave um, it was dark and, and cold and, and laying there. Um, I couldn't move. And I, I finally I said to her, where are we? And as I said, that it echoed like three or four times. And um, she said, they're coming. And just then I saw three, two or three beings. I couldn't really tell if there was two or three. They walked at the foot of my bed, um, other side of the curtain towards her. And she started to scream very loudly and... I was really scared now because all I can, all I see are two beings walking towards her. She stops screaming. And the next thing I know is I see them coming towards me. Um, but they appeared to be cloaked. I couldn't really describe if, there, if someone was to ask me, what do they look like? I would have guessed that they had cloaks over them. So I couldn't see what they looked like. But 
what I did see was this huge uh, syringe needle coming at me. And that syringe needle had yellow liquid cells inside. Um, and for some of the women out there, if you've ever had an epidural, um, when you're giving child, when you're in the middle of a, um, a childbirth, uh, that syringe needle that they put into your back to give you the epidural, that is the same type of needle that was coming at me. And I'll tell you, I had, a, I had an epidural with my first son and this brought back this memory. Um, and I'll explain to you why. So this needle was coming towards me and I couldn't move. I couldn't stop. The needle was injected into my heart. I felt the puncture. I felt the pain of the needle going into my heart. And I remember gasping, like, um, I couldn't breathe in or out. It was just like, ah, like I was trying to scream. Um, only a small little noise came out of my, I don't even know if a noise came out of me, <laughs> but it was just that intense fear, um, everything. I couldn't move. Um, when that needle injected, I could feel the cool liquid fill my chest. It filled my chest cavity. And then it was almost like I was falling. I was having, after this, after this, I was having strained strange sensations I couldn't even explain to you um the feelings that I was having it it was it was almost like I was running but um I was being pulled backwards um and then it was like I wasn't moving at all um and for some reason I'm, I'm fighting this I'm trying to fight this paralysis um I don't remember much from once that needle was injected but the next thing I, I'm I can see now I can see my house I can see the, the back end of the home where the hallway was. It was almost like it was a window and not a wall anymore. But I'm running towards it. And this is why I thought it was like a dream. Like I'm running towards it. And right when I touched the wall of the home, it was like I was shot in into the wall. Like again, sensations that I was feeling. And I'm running down the hallway now, full speed. Like there was, I was full speed running down the hallway. And my parents said to me, "What are you doing? Like I should have been in bed hours ago." And I said, "Mom, Mom, there was." I said, "I woke up on the bed, and they put a needle in my heart." And then I was rambling, like I did the last time. Um, and I, I, by nature, I speak, I, I do talk fast, and so of course I, I did talk a lot faster when I was a little kid. And they didn't understand a word I had said. And I remember trying to talk slower, but I was so scared and crying and, and scared. I didn't want them to let me go. But my parents were pretty strict and like, get to bed, get to bed. You're, you had a bad dream. And um, that was pretty much the start of how I became an insomniac. Uh, I was afraid to sleep. I found out that every time I go to sleep, I was waking up somewhere else or waking up with my pajamas on wrong or uh, waking up and my chest is wet or just um, having these pains. Um, so to go back to um, the, this experience, um, when I woke up the next morning, I was in so much pain. My heart hurt. I couldn't take a deep breath. Every breath I took was very pained, strained. I, I was taking really short, small little breaths and I told my mom, I said, I, I, I can't move. I, my body felt like um, I just hit, been hit by a bus. Um, and uh, not only was I having headaches, but the, uh, the heart pain was very, very prominent. I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. I felt like I couldn't breathe. My mom didn't believe me. She said I was trying to skip out of school. And I, I, she practically had to drag me out of the bed. And I, she saw that there was something wrong. So she took me to the 
clinic to see our doctor. And this doctor, he's, he's, he's been there since I grew up and he's, I believe his son now is, is a doctor up there now. But, um, I remember sitting there and now this is kind of another funny story with uh, how people react. So I was sitting on the, on the doctor's chair and, and he asked me, so what brings you in today? What's wrong? And, and so I told him I was having pains in my heart and that I had a hard time breathing and I had pain in my head. Um, so of course I'm an eight year old trying to explain my ailments. And he asked me, so when have you been having, how long have you had these symptoms? And no hesitation. And I said, um, as soon as the aliens put a needle in my heart. <laughs> so that was my response to them as a, Right when the uh, right after the aliens put the needle in my heart, um, and the doctor and my mom looked at each other, and the doctor looked at my mom and he gave her this look, and then my mom nodded, and then he just said, "Yeah, okay, um, uh, you have a great uh, imagination, and um, you're too young to be having headaches, and so maybe mom should be talking about maybe cutting your hair. Maybe it's too heavy." <laughs> just a ridiculous. I remember that ridiculous comment to why I was getting headaches at the age of eight, that my hair was too heavy. <laughs> so, yeah, that was uh, a number two experience. Yes, because it's always the hair that seems to be the problem when you're having alien abduction. You know, I mentioned this story just a couple of nights ago on on this show, and I'll mention it to you now. I made the mistake as my daughter suffers from depression and anxiety, and one day I was having a conversation with her school counselor about a year, year and a half ago now, and I made the mistake of telling my my daughter's school counselor or asking her if my daughter had ever mentioned about seeing dead people. Oh. And because my daughter is very, very in tune, she just chooses not to deal with it. And... Mm-hmm. There was a long pregnant pause by the counselor. She goes, oh, well, we should look at getting her on medication for that right away. And I said, no, you're not. I said, this is a family trait. It's been passed down. I said, maybe what you need to do with all your education is go back to school and see that there are people out there who have these experiences. And then, of Mm -hmm. course, the subject, she immediately changed, you know, but... It's amazing how the mainstream, whether it's doctors or school counselors or teachers, how they just don't want to admit that these experiences are hap- are, are happening even to young children. And especially in the formidable years, like you were back then, where you needed somebody to believe you, and there was no one. Yeah, and that's exactly what a lot of it was. And after all this, that was probably about... Um, probably 10 when I realized, hey, there is something different about me. <laughs> Not everybody does have these experiences. Um, uh, one of the, uh, I was going to talk about one of the things, uh, mentioning that not everything I had was UFO related, but during the same time, probably from the age of 8 and 10, I did a lot of astral traveling, which I didn't even know about. I used to used to say, um, I used to go, and I'll tell you how I, I would talk. I'll talk to you how I would have said it as a child. <laughs> um, do you remember going through the tunnel of colors? And when you get to the end, you're either as small as the tiniest 
um, grain of sand, or you could be as big as the universe. I love it when I go there. And my friends looked at me like I was really crazy at that point. <laughs> and I realized, oh, I guess you don't do that then. <laughs> yeah. When you had this second experience and you started getting a little bit of backlash, I think I lost you. No, I'm here. Can you can you hear me? Okay, because I can hear you. Can you hear me? Okay. Hello. I can hear you. What we're going to do is we're going to reconnect with um, Allison here momentarily. Obviously, we are having a little bit of an issue here, so you're going to hear a little bit of a dial tone. So let's make sure that we're able to make this happen. So make sure you don't hang up this time. Yeah, it sounded good from here, too. She just could not hear me. So we'll get reconnected with Allison here momentarily and see how it goes. But, I mean, this is... Hi, Well, definitely don't want her voicemail. It is the damn gnomes again. If you know this show, and this is your first time listening in, one thing that I will say is every now and again we have these damn gnomes that come in here and really start causing a little bit of havoc with everything. So we are trying to get Allison back on board here. Hopefully the name's, oh, there we got a ringtone. And do we have Allison back here? Yes, I'm here. That was weird because I could hear you absolutely perfectly. Everybody in the chat rooms could hear you perfectly, you know, mm. but you just couldn't hear me. Maybe they didn't want us telling that story because <laughs> we have had things like that happen in the past here. Usually what we do around here, because you missed that part, we blame it on the gnomes because everybody around here knows I hate gnomes. I really hate gnomes. <laughs> And so if a gnome is going to knock us off the air or something, oh, they're going to do it, the evil little bastards. But that is one of those situations. Now, what I wanted to ask, and I have to remember it now because a little technical snafu kind of threw me for a little bit of a loop here. Mm -hmm. What is going through your mind as an 8-year-old? Because in your early 40s now, Obviously, you can look at things with a little bit more clarity than you did back then. Was it emotionally disturbing for you not only to have these experiences, especially with them turning a little bit more, shall we say, sinister, and yet on this side, you're kind of getting the cold shoulder from the people that you trust? How hard was that back then? It was extremely hard. I think that was probably the toughest part of all of this is I had no one to talk to about it. Um, yeah, it was not something I, I realized now that I was not something I could talk to about with anybody, even my closest friends. Um, it was like a family secret. Uh, not many people talked about it. and But I, I knew that there was something happening. And it was it was terrifying. Um, I remember when I was laying on that table and I saw the... Uh, needle coming at me and I felt the puncture I thought I was dying I, I really thought I was going to die that day um and I, I remember trying to fight it and um and I, I would have fought all the way to the end if at, at that point 
Now, being a little girl at that point, how much fight do you think you could have? Did you see any of the beings who were working on you? No, at this point, uh, no. It was just the two that were cloaked. All I saw was the needle. I don't have too much memory other than that, besides um, running away from them and, and being jolted back into my home. That was the only thing. It, it stopped right there. Um, the, the, the significant part of that memory um, is where I was. I didn't feel like I was in a craft. I honestly would have felt that I was underground or in a cave. That was the feeling that I had. Um, I still to this day don't know. Um, but I do remember like when I was running, I was going through a tunnel. It looked like a rock tunnel. Um, and it, yeah, it was not smoothed. Um, so I remember like being scared and not knowing where I was running. And I don't remember um, anybody chasing me except for, um, again, I was mentioning um, I was I had, I had different sensations and I was seeing different things. I know that was there to distract me or to distort my, my reality or whatever it was that it did. Because it would look like that there were circles that were chasing me. It was really odd. Some of the things that I am going to talk about is, is it just, it was odd. I could not figure out why these circles were chasing me. Um, and I heard somebody else talk about this before, too, that they had, like, rolling balls that were chasing them. So it kind of made sense. But, wow, so I'm not the only one who saw those. <laughs> After you had your first encounter, did you expect all of this to be over and then all of a sudden the second encounter happens and you're now left wondering when is it going to happen again rather than, well, that's just a weird one-off experience. Yeah, I I remember being at, at that time after going to the doctor. I, I I kind of had a feeling that I knew that this wasn't over. Um, I was having sensations, and a lot of them were not even. It didn't lead to any memory, uh, but the feelings as I got older, um, the feeling like like they're, they're watching me. I had this feeling behind my neck. Um, I always knew when they were coming because I'd get the heart pains. Um, I'd get those heart pains, uh, and it always seemed like right before I get the heart pains and that feeling behind my neck that, yeah, I'd wake up to something strange. Um, yeah, there was there was many different experiences that I, I would just feel that, that feeling of fear and then wake up and everything was normal or, you know, back to normal. Um, so there's a lot of memories that I know I don't have. I don't, I did, have not recalled. Um, and I, I have thought about it for many years to go into regression hypnosis. Um, and I was actually going to go with that. Was, uh, I was in contact with Dr. John Mack, and he was, I was referred to him by Travis Walton. Um, and I did call him, um, and he invited me to Boston at the time to, to undergo the, the tests that he did. Um, with his research, and it was right after that that he had he had passed away. So I didn't get that opportunity to to find out what happened because he was going to go through all the regression, he's going to do all the tests, do body scans, and look for implants. So I was looking forward to going through this extensive work. Um, it just didn't happen. So you're trying to live a peaceful life in. You know, we're only up to year eight of your existence here, and already you've lived more than what most children have at your age. 
Explain to me then how you started to act as a child. Did you start to rebel? Did you get rambunctious? Did you become a recluse? Um, very recluse, um, and also, as I mentioned before, living up as growing up in a as a native girl in a prominent white town. Um, it was uh, I was also suffering with a lot of racism and, and bullying and name calling. Of course, you know. Yellow knee is not a common name, but I was very clumsy. So they like, you know, I had nicknames like skinned knee or bruised knee. <laughs> but um, I, I would have to say I was really, really shy. Um, I was the type of girl that I would walk down the hallway with my head down. I wouldn't look up to, to see anybody. Um, I would sit at the back of the class as much as I can so to not to attract any attention to myself. Uh, I wouldn't even talk if I was talked to by the teacher. I, I would become very um, emotional, um, and I just couldn't do it. I, I had I struggled in school, so it was really tough to grow up with this, and then to have this also. I lived in a lot of fear. Um, I was afraid to look up sometimes. Um, I was afraid to look behind me. It became um, a, a life of living in fear. And it was really difficult because I didn't have anyone to talk to about that. Um, and, yes, my mother was not very sensitive to what we were going through. And she didn't understand it either. You know, she I didn't find out till um, up until maybe 10 years ago that my mother had some things happen to her. But she didn't even put them together until I talked to her about implants. So it was um, really interesting. Do you mind if I get to a few questions from our audience here? Sure. Eric is wondering, as First Nations, what is your opinion now of the hollow earth theories in the Mojave where they say aliens are in mountainous caverns there? I, I actually believe that. Um, I really do. And I, I have to say it's part of it was from this experience. I just lost my share. But also... Um, in the Wabasca and Slave Lake areas and all the northern towns, there's a lot of um, tunnels under the in the lakes and in the rivers. So they talk about, as I mentioned, Jacques Cousteau had did a sweep of the lake up there. Um, they had talked about a sea monster. And while he was in, investigating, he found a lot of tunnels under um, that joined to a lot, of, a lot of the northern lakes. So there is all this talk about tunnels. Now, I've also heard stories um, from Alaska um, um in, in BC also about crafts coming out of mountains or you see them out of mountain ranges. So I really do believe that there is something there about that. And I was just reading about the hollow earth recently too. So it does make a lot of sense. And um, the other story uh, from, Oh my goodness, I can't think of the guy's name. Uh, There's a story on the internet a while ago about the man who shot two alien greys and how he went underneath um, underground and he Phil saw that Schneider. there was a war. Happening. Yes, that's it. Yeah, so when he what he explained there, to me, it resonated with me, um, partly because of when he talked about the alien that uh, was shooting rays at him, um, that it was coming out of the belt of, his, of the alien's belt, not like an actual handgun or anything. And when I was um, in, in 19, was it 1997, I had an experience with a gray and he was chasing me, and the same thing. He had, um, he was shooting rays at me. I'm always running away. I'm always hiding under tables. <laughs> but 
he was chasing me, and um, when I looked back, because the rays, um, it was hitting the ground as I was running. So he wasn't trying to hit me. I know that because he would have hit me. But he hit the ground beside me. When I looked back, I saw it coming out of the belt of his, out of his, um, his suit. So I really do believe that there is something to do with the hollow earth. Yeah. Next question by Eric is, do you feel, Allison, that you have ever had a near-death experience while being abducted and the extraterrestrials brought you back to life? Okay. Um, in mentioning about people who have come across me in, in my life, I've had people stop me, and I'll share the story now. I think it's kind of a relevant one. Um, so about 1996, I was walking down um, Jasper Ave, and it was just downtown Edmonton. And I came to the stoplight, and this lady stopped me, and she said to me, um, oh, my goodness, can I speak to you for a moment? I said, sure. Uh, she said, well, um, do you realize you have a UFO attached to you? And I looked up thinking, oh, my goodness, they found me. <laughs> and she said, no, no, I mean, in your lifetime. I said, yes, I'm very aware. Um, and she said to me, um, she said, you're, you should feel very, uh, very lucky that you're one of the chosen ones. And at this point, I looked at her and I said, lucky, chosen? And I, I kind of went off on her <laughs> about why would I feel lucky to be put through this hell that I've been through in my life. I said, to be living in fear, to have experiments done on me, to have myself taken out of my bed, out of my home, and have no control over my life. I'm supposed to be thankful for that. Um, and she said to me, and she was grinning, and she said, there's always a positive to every negative. And once you find out why these things have happened to you, you'll start to embrace your life and the gifts that you are given. But you won't see those gifts until you embrace what has happened to you. Um, at that time, I, I didn't really still understand, you know, about this. Um, the other thing was, um, she also said to me, um, she said, there were, she said to me, there were four of you. And she was starting to read me now. She said, there were four of you. Um, there was a baby and there was two close to your age and there was an older one. She said, they didn't give you and your brother enough but they gave the older one and the little one too much. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, the memory serum that they give you. She said, your older person who was in that home has no memory of her childhood. And I said, that's right. And she said, the baby almost died. And I, like, I looked at her and I was in shock by now because she's totally reading my, my life. And I said, yes, you're right. He almost died. She said, yeah, she said, that's because of the memory serum that they gave. They didn't give you and your other brother enough and those who took you were not really experienced they were just using you guys as guinea pigs basically but she said they're not all like that you just happen to get a bad connection that time. <laughs> but um so those kind of things i i had people talk to me about um allison who, been, who was this lady she was just a stranger on the street are you kidding walking. me no this has happened to me a lot I've had many, I call them messengers that come to me. Um, and I've had people on the internet send me messages. And that, that was, and this was all, all course before internet. Um, I was at a bus stop one time and this man talked to me um, about, uh, about my gift. He said to me, how come you're not following your path? 
He said, you need to get over your fears before you can start to embrace your, your gifts. And I, I still didn't know what he was talking about. This was even before I got into Reiki or any energy work or anything. So <laughs> um, I was all, I was very young and not really too much aware because I didn't know what was happening to me at the time, right? It wasn't until I got into, it was about 1999 when I got the internet at home for the first time. And I started to really put the pieces together. And I went, oh my God, I've had this experience. Oh, and I started to put everything together. And I realized that something really real is happening here. And I was dismissing them all as bad dreams or awake dreams or, um, you know, I, I knew some of them were very real, especially the UFO um, in 79. But the other experiences, I couldn't explain. Because somebody said to me, how many UFOs have, UFOs have you seen? Well, the only one that I've experienced that I recall is that one in 79. But... The others have just been experiences that I've had in my home or where I've woken up from my home to somewhere else or vice versa. So, sorry, I I lost track of what um, Eric's last question was. Well, his question was about near-death experiences, if you have ever had any of those and have the extraterrestrials brought you back. Yeah, so this um, this same psychic, the one, or I, I called her a psychic, the one who stopped me, she mentioned one of the things she said to me was, she said, the reason why um, you have, uh, no, this was somebody else, sorry, this was another person who had, who had stopped me. Um, but this happened a few times. And so she stopped me and she said to me, um, every time they take you, they stop your heart and they restart it by injecting adrenaline. And she said, they do this to you a lot, which is why you have those heart pains. And I was like floored. <laughs> uh, I didn't tell her anything. And all of a sudden she's talking about um, them stopping my heart to work on me and then restarting it again. But as for me knowing um, for sure, I, I don't know that for sure. I just always remember coming when I was after the experience or even after not even knowing it was an experience, I would have those heart pains and that listless feeling of having no energy to move or to talk. It was just like a dead feeling, and I had those a lot. Our resident preacher around here, Eric, different Eric this time, he is asking you, and I just got to find the question here. Here it is. How did you ever overcome the trauma of your childhood? You know, um, I, I took things day by day. One of the things I'll tell you which my coping mechanism was to not look back. I always looked to the next day. Um, I never looked backwards. And um, I, I, that would be the only way that I could say I coped because I didn't have the support around me. Um, I didn't even talk to my brother about this by then. Um, I, I just felt like I was totally alone in all this. And that's my, my own way of coping was to, to just not even think about it and just keep going to the next day and the next day. So basically it was take one day at a time and just live with it, take the brunt of what you had to take, take your lumps and just continue on basically building your own strength internally. Yes. That's a lot at that age, my friend. A lot at that age. I couldn't even imagine myself or one of my children going through that. 
<clears throat> yes, it was. Um, and I would have to also mention, like, it was, I, I had so many, um, I'll, I'll get into another aspect of what I had grown up with as a teenager. Um, so again, as I mentioned, not many people knew about my experiences. Um, I, I was having a lot of uh, premonition dreams at this time now. I'm starting to develop a spiritual connection, but I, I didn't, I was afraid of it. Um, and so I was afraid of everything <laughs> at that time. And uh, we had um, a couple experiences. I remember uh, being a teenager and I was back in Wabasca visiting and we're walking at night and we came across this big burned field, a big burned area. And it was a perfect circle. And I remember seeing this huge mass of burnt out circle and I, in my mind at the time. I remember thinking, how did they do that? How did they burn that grass? Oh, and then a couple of years later, we walked over the same area and there was no grass in this whole big spot, a big burned out circle that was just now dead, nothing, just ground. We walked up the knee high deep of grass up until this clearing. And that's exactly where the burn mark was uh, years before. So all those different types of memories of that were starting to come back um, because I was starting to put the pieces together, of course, by then. And I would look in back of my mind, keep those back there and say, oh, yeah, there was that time. Oh, yeah. Um, but one of the things that I was starting to experience alongside with now the headaches and the stomach um, problems, um, of course, now that I got into puberty, I was... Um, of course, having the the menstrual and everything that we all go through as women, um, and I started to have those, but they were they were different. Um, I would go through uh, times of having no no menstrual cycle, and then waking up in pools of blood. But during those couple of months of nothing, I had I'd woken up to a lot of like movement in my stomach fluttering in my stomach um i used to have a lot of gunk like stuck in my belly button i didn't know why i always had this stuff in my belly button it was um um slimy stuff was always in my belly and i didn't know why i thought it was normal i didn't understand what it was um and i would always have these these fears again and it would happen every few months and it seemed like just when i was finally getting relaxed again i can sleep and then i'd have this fluttering in my stomach and and then one, and then I'd wake up to um, the the mess, and I didn't understand what, what was happening. And I went back to the doctor, um, and of course I was a virgin at the time too, so they never once considered anything else. So they they just said, "Oh, it's very normal for teenage girls to have irregular periods." So that was the doctor's response to my fluttering. Oh, he called my fluttering stomach spasms. Um. Yeah, <laughs> so I had a lot of stomach spasms, a lot of the heart pain, and a lot of the, the movements in my stomach. And I went through that um, in my early teenage years, all the way till my um, early adulthood. And um, I experienced that quite a bit. That was the that was the um, most of the things I experienced after that. The the needle in the heart was um, at eight years old, but the rest of it was was. Um, the feelings in my stomach. Did you feel that they were almost impregnating you? Um, I I was going to share that story with, because um, there's a couple more things that I've missed, but I'll, I'll go to that one now. Um, in 1994, I was traveling through BC. 
I was, uh, my ex used to work for CN Rail and I would travel with him. And we were in Terrace, BC at the time. Um, during that time, I, I walked to the reserve and I sat with an elder there. So even though I'm First Nation, I didn't really grow up with my culture very, very strongly. Um, there was a Métis heritage in our, in our family, that background, but not very much to First Nation. But I felt I needed to connect to a First Nation elder. So I walked to the reserve. And I met a lady there who was, she was uh, making dream catcher earrings. And um, she knew right away that there was, she called me dear one. And she said, um, you're a healer, my dear one. And she said, um, you'll find your path one day. And she again said the same thing. You have to let go, let go of your fear. I heard that so many times in my life. I didn't understand. Um, and she was making dream catcher earrings. And she said to me, um, she told me the story of the dream catcher, first of all. And I told her that I was always having bad dreams. Um, I, I told her I called them wake dreams, but I don't know what, what they are. And she she told me stories about what her thoughts are about our dreams and that they're messages and and that it's our subconscious that's communicating with us. So, the, you know, she told me her thoughts on that. I didn't get into anything with her about my dreams, um, but she told me to wear them at night. So I, I took the earrings and I was wearing them proudly. Um, and I had wanted a child. So I was with my, I'll back up a little bit. I was with my, my ex um, since I was 16 years old. Um, we were together um, for, for, from, for myself at a very young age. Uh, but I had tried to have a, a child by the age of 18. Um, I wasn't ready for one at that point, but I, that's what I wanted at that time. So I had tried to have children and we couldn't get pregnant. When I was 22, um, we went and got testing done to find out, like, why are we getting pregnant? I've been off the pill for years. Like, what's going on? Um, and they just said something's not working, I guess. And um, they said that the problem was with me. I didn't know what it was. So so there I am. Now I'm in BC. Um, I'm wearing these earrings to bed. And I had another wake dream. So the wake dream... I was, before I went to bed, I was wishing for a baby. That's what I was wishing for. Um, so I, I closed my eyes. I went to bed, but I woke up. Um, and I call this part of the story, meeting the children. Uh, it's, this is a very difficult one to talk about for me because it's, uh, it kind of, um, changed, it changed my life for a different way. But I remember walking, this woman was leading me. She was a woman figure, was leading me down this hazy room. And the hazy room had two rows of kids. And they're both lining up at two rows. And I'm walking in between the two rows of kids. The kids were all different sizes, all different ages. Some had big heads. Some had regular size heads. Some had big eyes. Some had human size eyes. Some had hair. Some didn't have hair. They're all different but I felt so much love for them all. I, I could not even explain. I was crying as I was walking through these two rows of kids and they're all looking at me um, with love in their eyes. And as I walked to the end of that, the two rows and there was probably about 12 kids there. Um, she turned around with the baby in her hands and the baby was wrapped in a blue blanket. And she said to me, you can keep this one. And she handed me the baby boy and I looked at him and I, I woke up. Um, four weeks later, or shortly after all that, 
I was having those heart pains again. I'm traveling from Terrace, B.C. Um, to um, Houston, D.C., and then from Houston I was going on to, um, uh, what's the other town, Burns Lake, and that was the next stop. And we're on a train, and I'll tell you, I couldn't sit down, I couldn't stand up. My pains and my heart were so bad. I was worried they're going to come and take me and mobs on the on the on the train, and I, I was worried because I knew that something was going to happen. Why am I having these heart pains again? Um, so by the time I got to Burns Lake, this is like going on to the fourth week now. I I went to see a doctor about the heart pains, and um, I got a pregnancy test, and it turned out I was I was I was pregnant. Um, wow! So it was pretty much four weeks to that day of that dream, and um. The funny thing about the pregnancy was um, when I had the ultrasound and they gave you that ultrasound, I was really scared. <laughs> I remember being really scared that I was going to see an alien in my stomach. Um, I, don't, I don't blame and, you. <laughs> well, and then after that, I told my doctor, I said, he's going to be born on February 1st. And the doctor said, no, but your expected date's going to be February 14th or 20th around there. And I said, no, February 1st, it's going to be a boy. And he said to me, I've been doing this for 25 years. No one's ever predicted that their birth date. They all try. Um, I said, nope, it's going to be February 1st. Well, through the whole pregnancy, um, I I always knew it's going to be February 1st. So January 30th, um, I went for my weekly appointment with the doctor. And he said to me, well, you haven't dilated yet. Um, this hasn't happened yet. The baby hasn't dropped yet. Um, there's no baby for a couple more weeks yet. And I said, well, there's still two more days. And he rolled his eyes at me and he said, I can't believe you. He said, you, he said, you frustrate me. <laughs> he said, you're so sure you're going to have a baby on February 1st? I said, yes, I know I'm going to have a baby on February 1st. So that night I went home and I felt the baby drop. Now I know what they meant by that. The baby dropped. Um, I went to bed. The next morning at 7.30, I woke up. My water broke. 24 hours in labor. My doctor walks in at, at 7 a.m. on February 1st, getting ready to deliver my baby. <laughs> oh, no. And he looked at me and he says, how did you know? <laughs> that is and, amazing. Uh, Just amazing. And w- was your son healthy? Like there was no sort of side effect that could you could put towards alien intelligence? Um, super intelligent, yes. He was reading and writing by the time he was two. Um, he was, I couldn't get him into any specialized schools. They didn't recommend it. Um, of course, I also didn't have the financial means to get him into any specialized schools, but he, he was amazing in his, in his growth and his knowledge. I read him books all the time, but I did not read him books on car manuals, but he would know we'd be, he'd be two years old. We'd be walking here and say, look, there's a, there's a Chevy, there's a Dodge, there's a, there's a Ford. Oh, look, mom, there's a 1965 um, what do you say? So there's 1965 Bel Air rag top 350 engine. I'm, I'm, I'm like, what? And I had no clue where he got that information from. And he just had this knowledge. Um, and it was amazing. And I, I knew that there was something different with him. And I had elders tell me that, yeah, that my son's a star child, a star man. So, yeah, it's been very, very interesting. <laughs> And in the meantime, my son just pulls the tires off of every Hot Wheels that he has to chew them. Yes. Yes, that, that is quite a difference. Wow. So to this day, how is his academics? How old would your son be now? 
he's he's 21 now, and um, he's uh, very much into mechanics. Um, wow. He's very much into wow. aviation, and he's he's a fourth year mechanics apprentice, and he's been tinkering with cars since he bought his first car when he was 13 years old, and uh, he's been just car fanatic, and he totally is. I, I actually was upset that he wasted his, his his intelligent mind on mechanics, but hey, I can't control his career path. But. Did did your son ever recall any kind of communication as well, considering that he went through all of this? You know, um, I have always been very open with my boys. They've always been very aware um, about what I've been through. I've also told them if you've ever had anything questionable, any experiences, any sensations, anything, come and talk to me. I'm here. So they know that I've always been here for them, regardless what they've been through. Um, he's only talked about uh, of things when he was a, a – his memory is amazing. He remembers things when he was six months old. His, his memory is amazing. Um, he, uh, he talked about one time, he said to me, Mom, do you remember that time when I was still a baby and I was in my crib and I was crying really, really heavily and you thought I was just trying to get your attention? He said, I was crying and I couldn't communicate with you. But he said, there was a, a black energy that came in from the window and it was coming into my crib. And yeah, he had that memory, and I, I felt horrible, horrible, knowing that I was not there to protect him or help him. Yeah. I want to get to a couple questions here from our audience because they've been waiting a long time here. Cla- <laughs> okay. Claudia is asking, when Allison says the beings were cloaked on your first encounter, what were they wearing? Robes, jackets? Were they wearing hoods? If so, what color? Um, it looked like there were robes that covered their head and right their whole arms. I didn't see any arms, nothing. It looked like it reached right to the floor. Wow. And what color were they? Were were they dark? Were they I translucent? Could, yeah, they were dark. I couldn't really tell because all I had was a light source above my head. So I could only see when they were close to me. But by then... The focus was in that needle that was coming at me. Yes, that needle would definitely be very, very interesting. Because Claudia follows up and says, In my dreams, when they visited for a week every night, in my dreams they were in brown robes with hoods, could not see their faces. Did you have that experience as well? Or does that sound any sort of familiar? Yeah, that sounds familiar. Like the, I couldn't see their faces. Same thing. Um, I, I would have to say, if someone was to ask me how many how many um, species of, of contact have I had, I would I would probably count five right now that I'm aware of. So the grays, I've had the experience with grays, these tall cloaked ones. Um, in '92, I had an experience with um, human-like. Um, that appeared in my room. They, they, um, they were. They actually looked like they're First Nation. That was an interesting one. Um, and then um, panthers. We had experience with panthers. That was in 2001. 
uh, they stood upright and um, men in black. Are you talking dog man or cat man? I don't, I've never heard of that. I've looked around to see if there's any type of other stories that were referring to these Panthers. Um, but that was the 2001 story that led me to. Um, well, we're going to get into that next hour. And we only got yeah. about, we only got about 30 seconds here. I have to tell you while we are waiting for that to happen, and we'll get to more of your questions, audience, when we come back from break, the remarks I am getting in the chat rooms about you are extremely positive from where did you find this lady to this is an amazing amazing guest to has she written a book yet we're getting it all so you are an absolutely amazing guest tonight and my god i can't believe that you and i chatted for the first time just two days ago this is, I know I was like <laughs> this is meant to be. This is totally meant to be. I'm totally into the synchronicity of things and I got to tell you, I'm blessed. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio. Allison Yellowney is our guest. We'll be right back after this break with hour number 3. The SOR Sightlines is a place for you to find answers to your strange experiences. Hi there. This is Mike Schmidt. If you have had an encounter with ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, ETs, or anything else that doesn't make sense, head to spacedoutradio.com and file a Sightlines report. All information you give is 100% confidential, and I will personally help you find the answers you need. SOR Sightlines. Your answers are a click away. Greetings and salutations, space travelers, from the Chronicles of the Unknown team. What is Chronicles of the Unknown? I keep hearing about this thing. It's a new paranormal reality TV show based right here in beautiful British Columbia, Canada. Follow our team as we uncover claims of activity on the Caribou Gold Rush Trail. You can also follow us here every third Monday where two members of our team will be available to answer your questions. We'll give you some equipment updates and some of our experiences on the road. Right here on Spaced Out Radio. Hi there, I'm Butch Wachowski, lead investigator with Euphorcop. On the final Monday of every month, you can listen to me and host Dave Scott on Spaced Out Radio's Strange Days. We're going to get to the heart of the matter when it comes to what's happening out there. People are seeing and experiencing things from ET contact to Bigfoot, and I want to hear about it. Your experiences are what we investigators need to help solve these unknown mysteries. So tune in at spacedoutradio.com to the final Monday of every month from Butch Wachowski's Strange Days. Visit purpleplates.com today. For over 40 years, the Purple Energy Plates have been delivering amazing results for their many customers. Inspired by the great genius Nikola Tesla, the harmony, healing, and energetic effects of the plates have proven over and over to be beneficial and often miraculous to thousands of customers. With their money-back guarantee and the many benefits, how can you afford not to get one? Check their site for daily specials and choose from their many energy products. You won't be sorry. Visit them today at purpleplates.com for mind, body, and spirit. And expect a miracle. This is your medium, Joanna, from Spaced Out Weekend, Two Mediums and a Large. I would love it if you would come and join us with host James Tyson every other Sunday on Spaced Out Weekend. 
Together, we will take your calls and your questions live. Our goal is to provide you with a positive outlook on deep questions that you may have. Questions regarding love, relationships, money, or whatever else is on your mind. Come and check us out at spacedoutradio.com. Have you checked out the SOR Spacewire at spacedoutradio.com yet? Every day we post the latest stories regarding the weird, strange, and completely unbelievable. From cryptid and UFO sightings to the conspiracy world, we tackle it all. Hi there, I'm Eric Markham, Space Out Radio's news director for the SOR Spacewire. And if you have a story, I want to hear it. Email me at news at spaceoutradio.com. Patrolling the Pacific Northwest, we are always on the lookout for the strange and unassuming stories that real people are experiencing. Hi, I'm Vincent Zunza from Pacific North Weird. Me and Alexandra Sullivan have teamed to bring to you those odd stories that never seem to make it into the mainstream. Stories so weird that we'll leave you scratching your head wondering, is this real? It's as real as it gets with Pacific North Weird. You can watch our videos right here at spacedoutradio.com. Become more intimate and interactive with Spaced Out Radio. Join our Space Travelers Club with your new membership. For $5 a month, we'll provide you with special access to the website, monthly prize draws from books to psychic readings, along with monthly newsletter, private interviews, and more. Sign up today to be part of Spaced Out Radio's experience. Every month on Spaced Out Radio, we look into the deep and dark reports of cryptids roaming around the world with me, Rob Morphy, from Cryptopia.us. I would love it if you would join me and host Dave Scott as we delve into the most arcane stories and reports regarding creatures of the unknown. My job is to hunt down the details and bring the evidence forward to you. These aren't your regular Bigfoot stories I'm talking about either. You can find out more about crypto history at spacedoutradio.com. Looking for a place to advertise at a very reasonable cost? Look no further than Spaced Out Radio. SpacedOutRadio.com has an advertising tab that you can click to check out our daily, weekly, and monthly packages to play on the radio or our website, including social media. From commercial spots to banners, we have it all. Check out our competitive pricing today. You hear footsteps in the empty room above you. A rocking chair begins rocking by itself. Don't be afraid of the things that go bump in the night. Reach for Spirit Story Box. The iPhone app the Huffington Post UK called the only ghost hunting app you will ever need. Spirit Story Box. The spirits are telling their stories. Are you listening? Strange creatures lurking in the night, the sounds of wood knocking in the forest, odd happenings right out of a fictional world. These are the reports I love. Hi there, this is author Ronald Murphy, and I would love it if you join me and Spaced Out Radio host Dave Scott the second Wednesday of every month on our journey into the unknown land of cryptozoology at spacedoutradio.com. From Mothman to Frogman and everything in between, hey, they don't call me the crypto guru for nothing. Did you know that Spaced Out Radio runs seven days a week? Hi, it's James Tyson from Spaced Out Weekend. Every Saturday and Sunday night, starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, you can join me and my guests for some great chatter about what's going on out in the universe or even in that dark part of the basement you really don't want to go back into. Well, let's find the answers to your experiences together. So come on up to Uncle Jimbo's cabin on the weekend. For more information, look us up at spacedoutradio.com. 
Would you like to connect with us on Spaced Out Radio? Head to spacedoutradio.com to check out the latest shows, guests, and sponsors. And don't forget to sign up for the Space Travelers Club. You'll find all you need at spacedoutradio.com. to Space Out Radio tonight. I am your host, Dave Scott. Can't believe two hours is down already. Remember, if you're listening in on Revolution Radio, the Double R Machine is a donation station financed by you, the valued listener. Do us a favor. Visit freedomslips.com and donate today. It's very important that you do so. Bill Cardwell has set the password for tonight. Anesthetize. Anesthetize is the password anesthetize there we go finally got it third tries a charm thank you bill i appreciate that as bill cardwell sets the password every single night if you're an sor space traveler use it wisely if somebody asks you what it's for just say exactly (laughs) if you want to follow us on twitter you can do so at spaced out radio give our facebook page a like Spaced Out Radio Show on Instagram. I can be followed at Dave Scott, S-O-R. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show, on our website, spacedoutradio.com, on TuneIn, and on iTunes. If you visit our website, you can join the SOR Space Travelers Club. It's only 5 bucks a month. Read up on the SOR Space Wire by our news director, the preacher himself, Eric Markham, and... You can read up on our latest blogs. Check out our music man, the guitar god, Braun Bumblefoot Thal, formerly of Guns N' Roses. Bumblefoot is the official music of this show. And if you've had an experience you want some answers to, fill out the SOR Sightlines report. Mike Schmidt, our lead investigator, will get a hold of you. File a report to Spaced Out Radio. All your information is 100% confidential. For the final time tonight, we introduce Allison Yellowney and... I'm going to state this again. I just met Allison on Facebook two days ago, and Ronald Murphy contacts me yesterday, the crypto guru who was supposed to be on tonight. He's like, Dave, I can't speak. I'm suffering from strep throat. I don't have a voice. I apologize. You know how much I love to do this show. And I said, not a problem. And Boom. All of a sudden, Allison pops up. She starts telling me that she has an intriguing encounter. I said, well, what's it about? Little did I know it would be this stellar of a story to broadcast to you, our Spaced Out Radio listeners. Allison, honestly, the privilege is absolutely all ours tonight. Thank you for stepping into the hot seat on short notice and telling us your story. And I'm going to say this right now. I want to book you again soon, probably December, January, because I know next time around, with some notice, you wanted to bring some of your family members around so we could kind of have a roundtable discussion about this. Yes, that's right. Actually, we had talked about this quite a few years ago, uh, my brothers and my cousins um, and those of us who've had these experiences to, to come together and collectively share the story as we remember it. Um, as I mentioned, none of us have had any uh, regression hypnosis. Uh, we were only just going based on our own memories. Amazing. I want to get to a couple more questions here from our audience. Claudia is asking, 
Could the messengers be the aliens asking you those questions? Like you said, you were running into a number of messengers around your life as you've grown older. They may look human as they are telling you what happened to you. Did you feel anything different, like different energy when the messengers appeared? Um, actually, it was very interesting. Um, all of those encounters that I've had with, with strangers, I've never once felt alarmed or afraid or it was more like, oh, somebody could see. You know, that's, it, to me, it wasn't really even um, a big deal. Um, and I would think, if anything, there were more spiritual beings, um, guides. I don't think that they were um, uh, alien per se, but because um, I, I kind of go based on feeling. And I say that now because I didn't realize how empathic I was until I really learned about energy and um, got into the Reiki in 2005. So prior to any of that, I didn't understand what I was feeling. I didn't know energy was was a big part of all of it and those people those messengers that come through they all felt good they felt good i went by feeling you mentioned during your earlier in the first hour about you were taught about the wendingo and bob is asking what do you know about the wendingo in regards to native lore. Could you explain that a little bit? Um, so the, the theories that I've heard um, have been uh, people were not supposed to eat humans, but in many of uh, the, the times where people were starving, they would eat humans. Um, I heard that, um, actually there's a town near Slave Lake, it's called Mitsu, and it actually, they said, was re- reference to eating. And there's a story about... Um, a Wichigu in the Slave Lake area, and they talk about a woman that used to walk with the Wichigu. Um And usually, from what I've been told, they're cannibal spirit. So it's like a, a it's almost like a possession. But um, once you you have this, there's no getting rid of it. You're you're pretty much um, so just the the, the common uh, that they have the the power of ten people, and they're um, they they can't die. You have to cut off their heads to, to, to kill them. You never saw one, did you? No, but I know people who have. My one aunt, uh, Lorraine, she's experienced one when she was a little girl up in a town called Fort Vermilion, um, which is still further north than where Slave Lake and Wabasca are. How often are you being taken? Um, in my younger years, there was a lot. I really feel ever since 2001, I haven't had any experiences. Um, and I was going to go back to some of those other experiences. But I really feel that what happened in 2001 is what stopped everything, at least maybe um, reclaiming my my um, my life is what I call it. Uh, I don't know however how way to, to I actually screamed out and told them it ends with me. You can't do this to me anymore. It ends with me. You can't have my children. I went to this whole big rant, <laughs> but I was going to explain that as part of my last um, story. Another question. This one from new listener, Susie. Thank you, Susie, for tuning in tonight for the first time on spaced out radio. Really appreciate that. 
Do you think there is a connection between the repression of Native Americans, or in Canada, First Nations, and the existence of extraterrestrials? Um, I actually do feel that we naturally had a connection with extraterrestrials. I, I really do. Not, I still don't know yet what that connection is within my culture, but um, and that quite possibly is because I know when in a lot of our culture it was stripped from us, it was beaten out of us, it was um, told or, you know, it was devil's tongue. Um, there was a lot of uh, repression that was done, of course, in the families. And my grandmother, um, the one who had an experience of also, she actually sold her treaty rights so her kids wouldn't have to go to residential schools. Um, so that ended up at my grandmother. I would like to know, if you don't mind, with the extraterrestrial experiences that you had, was there paranormal experiences surrounding those as well? Because oh, I, yeah. know, I know for me... Allison, five years ago, when I started having regular experiences just out of the blue, what I like to say, the end of my happily boring life, okay, <laughs> mine started very paranormal before building up over the next year and a half towards extraterrestrial contact. Did you have paranormal experience previous to this, or did your paranormal experiences start coinciding with the extraterrestrial experiences? Yes, they, they were coinciding. Um, and it was, I probably had just as many paranormal experiences related to uh, ghostly encounters, uh, little people, um, an encounter where we're walking. Um, it's a pretty funny story. Uh, well, it's not funny. <laughs> it's, it's for me to, to share the story will sound funny. Um, is the uh, there was a story in Wabaska of, a, of an older man named um, John Mack, and it's so funny because the reason why it's funny is that Doctor John Mack was very, um, very you know, I don't know do you know Doctor John Mack his work his previous work. Um, yes. So when I say John Mack, it's a different John Mack. <laughs> so this, this John Mack was we were told uh, growing up to stay away from John Mack because he used to walk with the devil. We were told that he sold his soul to the devil and that he walked with the devil and we were supposed to stay inside at night because John Mack was outside. So we had an experience with him one time. My cousin and I, we were out at night and we weren't supposed to be. And we're approaching one man who was ahead of us. And it was one man, but with two voices. So we heard the two voices. We heard laughing at the same time. They were talking about us and Cree, um, and we stopped because I didn't want to move any forward. And there was a car coming towards us, and we actually saw it was only one man, um, but the two voices. And as we approached her home, we saw him clearly, one man walking past her home, and we ran for her house for, was for all our life, just ran so quickly. And um, we asked her mom, because she was looking out the window. She was watching her hands folded, looking out the window, waiting for us to arrive, and uh, saw us running. And she said to me, you girls didn't know that was John Mack in front of you? And I said, was that just one man? And we told her that we heard two voices. And, um, oh, yeah, she got very angry with us. So <laughs> we've had experiences like that. Um, 
yeah, I've had little people experiences and um, many, um, I've had a lot of experiences where my, my grandmother, my other mom, my mom's mom um, comes to me in, in, in dreams uh, to let me know when someone's going to pass away in our family. So that still happens. I want to take a minute here because I have tried since the beginning of this show to find someone to speak about the little people. And for some reason, it is damn near impossible to find someone. Could you please spend a minute or two in just explaining what they are and what they mean? Um, I honestly don't really know too much about where they originated from. Um, because in, in our Cree culture, it wasn't very, um, very much known. But I know in Blackfoot, uh, which is southern Alberta, they have a lot of stories of little people. Um, so what I do know, on what from I'll tell you the story that I had, was the cousin, the same night that we saw the man walking, before that moment, we're coming down this path. And the path had brush on each side of the road. And um, this is dirt road, by the way. And in the brushes, it was no wind at all. It was dead silent, which is very uncommon. Usually you're hearing frogs um, or some crickets or something at night. It was dead silent. And it was very um, an, an eerie feeling. And so her and I were walking. And all of a sudden we heard little giggling. And the giggling and little little flashes of light in those, in those shrubs. And... I went, what's that? She said, it's giggling. They're laughing at us. Said, well, who's laughing at us? The little people. Hurry up. we got to run. <laughs> um, and I didn't know what that was. I didn't understand it. Um, but I have heard a lot about uh, little people within other cultures that um, other, other First Nation tribes, I guess, um, where they actually would leave food out and, and little pieces of clothing like a cloth so they can make clothing because you're making an offering to them and they're supposed to help and, and, and bring you luck. Almost like an Irish thing. I saw somebody about the Irish. <laughs> Question from Trip in the Space Out Radio chat room. Have you ever had any experience with shadow people? Um, yes, I have. Um, uh, there was a, a couple times that... I, I didn't really um, feel too afraid of them until there was a time that my sons were experiencing. We lived in this home that was haunted. I could not even, I'll tell you, I fell in love with this house. I'd never loved a house as much as I loved this one house. And um, my sons were sharing a bedroom and the two younger ones. I have three sons, by the way. So after Shane, I had two more boys. Um, the, um, the two boys shared a room and they always talked about an old man sitting in the corner of the room looking at them. I didn't really take too much out of that because I, I knew that they had watched a scary movie the night before. So I thought maybe it was to do with that. And, uh, but they kept on complaining about this old man being in the room. And one night while I was working on my projects, I was working away. I, I looked I saw them jump out of their room and they were screaming and they ran towards my room and right behind them was I saw that shadow, that shadow man follow them. And I ran to the bedroom and they were just terrified on the bed. And they said, Mom, he was coming at us. And um, that's the first time I had ever experienced um, a communication with the spirit. 
um, after that, as I got into um, learning about spirit and uh, I was already into Reiki at that point. So I was already doing a lot of meditation and everything. And I communicated with that spirit and um, he showed me in my mind how he died. And after that experience, he actually left and didn't bother the boys anymore. So that was uh, 2005. Let's get back to your extraterrestrial experiences here. As you develop and you come out of teenagehood into adulthood, how frequent were the experiences happening? They were so frequent that I didn't even, um, I just, as I mentioned before, I just took it every day as a, as a, a new day I'm still alive. Um, uh, 92, as I mentioned, I was with my children's father for a long time, very young. So I was 16 when I was dating, when we were dating. And in 1992, so it was 88 when I first met him. And in 92, he was working out of town. And I was going to be home alone for the first time. And I had never been home alone before him because him and I were always inseparable. And I I, I felt safe with him. And uh, so um, even though he didn't believe anything I went through, um, he, uh, to me, I felt safe just being in, in his presence. But uh, there was um, a period that he was gone and working in BC. And then we got a, he got a package in the mail and it was his, um, was a huge book. It was a really thick book, and it was their uh, health plan for the CN Rail. And so I was reading through it. Of course, it was a very dull read, and I put it on the side of the bed. And I had a, I had a, a king-size water bed at the time. And I lived in an apartment building, and my mom lived down the hall from me um, in her own suite. So uh, at the time, I was on my bed, and I, I, I had that pile of paper on the side of the bed, I had a touch lamp. And so I just dimmed the light and I'm laying there and I just put my hands on my chest, took a deep breath and exhaled. And all of a sudden I saw a little woman crouch down at the, at the um, doorway of my bedroom. I can describe her to, she's like probably four foot five, um, very pale white skin, very pale, um, not even a wrinkle. Um, at the same time, she also um, had very black, long hair with a streak of white hair that was then in front of her forehead so that she kind of put behind her ear. Um, I, I explained, I, when I first experienced that, I explained her as a witch. I didn't know how other way to explain her. But she grabbed those papers, she ripped them up, and then she started a fire with her hands. And she said, if he doesn't um, quit this job, he's going to die. And just at that moment, two Native people appeared on each side of my bed. One um, had, he was short with braids, and the other one was taller, and he had short hair. And they each grabbed one of my arms, and I started to float. I floated off my bed, and it was almost like they were holding me so I don't float away. And then they led me to my feet at the edge of the bed. And then they led me out of my room into the living room where um, all of a sudden the room just shifted. It was almost like the room turned and now I'm in a round room. At the time I thought it was a round room. Um, I looked around and I saw windows all around. I was wondering where the door was because I couldn't see a door. I just saw windows all around. And there was like a lot of seats that were all built into this room. 
So kind of like when you look at uh, Star Trek where they're all built in seats there. Um, so I was in this room and I'm looking around and I'm shocked now because I was like, how did our, how did the rooms shift like this? And they didn't speak a word, but they pointed to the window and all of a sudden we're at the window. And then they looked, they pointed down and I looked and we're hovering above a street. And I, I said to them, how did you get this building above the street? <laughs> um, and it wasn't until, of course, after that experience, I realized I was in a, a, in a craft a UFO and they're showing me where we were. And I recall the street numbers of, of the south side of Edmonton and I was in the north side of Edmonton. So I was, and I remember the numbers like 76 Ave and um, 92 Street. And so I was wondering like, what's so significant of this address and this location? It was really the significant of the area. They were just showing me where I was. And um, so after they did that, I woke up back in the same position as I was before, with my hands on my chest, and I was freaked out now because all of a sudden these people appeared in my room and then my room shifted and now I'm back in my bed again, another wake dream, but this is more vivid. And now I'm trying to reach for my lamp and uh, up and I, I got up and I was that, that fighting of the paralysis feeling again, um, running, trying to go to the bathroom. I turned the taps on to the water in my room and I started to float backwards. It was really, it was really strange. I was floating backwards. Um, I'm trying to catch myself in the air, uh, the sensation of floating down. And I can, I can see the doorknob passing me and I couldn't reach it. And then I felt the cold floor on my back. And I woke up again in that same position on the bed. And now I'm trying to fight the paralysis. I'm trying to turn my lamp on brighter. And I'm praying. I'm saying, dear God, please, God, please help me. And just when I started to pray, um, the uh, the hold let go, and I was now traumatized. I'm in the corner of my room. I'm crying. I'm pinching myself. I'm trying to figure out what the heck had just happened. And I can hear the water running still from the bathroom when I was in there the second time. Um, so it was really, uh, that one was a really strange experience um, with the three beings, native beings in the room. Um, they didn't hurt me, but my own fears of just having experiences in general would have probably prevented me from even receiving a message at that point because I was so afraid. I have another question here from Annette. Annette is saying, Allison, when you have a relative that passes, do they do weird things? Do you have weird things that happen, like pictures falling off the walls or other weird situation or anomalies? Well, I always believe that our, our, our loved ones do visit us, and they try to get our attention in whatever way they can. Um, but when it comes to the um, the dreams that I have, it's my grandmother coming to, to tell me that she's coming to get somebody. So this happened actually with um, uh, my Aunt Mary. Um, and so my mother and her sister Mary were very close. And... Um, Mary was sick. She had uh, was on oxygen and lived by herself. And I had a dream about my grandmother, and I and we called her Cookum. And I said, Cookum, I miss you. What, what are you doing here? And she said, I've come to get Marie Mary Atkinson. And I said, uh, uh, What do you mean you're coming to get her? She said, It's her time. 
And, and I was, I was like, then we faded out. Right. And then, so the next morning I called my mom and I said to her, who's Marie Mary Atkinson. And she said, that's my sister, Mary. And I said, well, cause I knew her as Mary. I didn't know her as Marie. And I said, so why did Cookham say Marie Mary? And she said, well, um, when, when Mary was a little girl, there was three girls in her class that were all, all their names was, were Marie. So they named to separate them. They just told her to call her Mary and they went that way. So everybody called her Mary after that. And then she says, well, what do you mean? Cookham said, cause my grandma passed away many years ago. And, um, I said, well, Cookham came to me and she said, she's coming to get Marie Mary Atkinson. And my mom got really upset and she said, well, I got to go check on Mary. So she went to her home and it turned out that Mary was not doing well. And she was um, uh, not, um, not responding and her oxygen was, was not working. Um, so she was rushed to, the, rushed to the hospital and she had passed away five days later. And my mother was very angry with me. Um, she said, uh, how come you didn't tell me this before? We could have saved her. And I said, Mom, I said, it was her time. Um, we can't predict when we're going to go. She came to tell us she was coming to get her. I said, I think that's, that was a blessing for us. To, so you had a few days with her before she passed. It took my mom a few days to, um, you know, accept that this was happening because she didn't believe me when I told her that my grandma came to me to tell me this, but I've had many dreams of premonitions and, and stuff prevented things from happening from the dreams that I've had. So this shouldn't have been very alarming to her. <laughs> We've got one other spiritual question. This one from Lisa. She's saying, Allison, can you explain smells someone gets before someone close passes away? Yes, that's that's them coming to visit you. That's the loved ones coming to see you. And it's not always just when they pass away. They can come and see you anytime. In Reiki, I've worked in Reiki for 11 years. Um, I've become a channel for people to connect with their loved ones, and it happens all the time. It's it's the most blessing um, that I've ever done with Reiki, well, besides the healing of certain ailments and and, um, sicknesses. The connection that people can get to their loved ones is very amazing. Mm-hmm. I've had that happen. when my It was a wow. couple of years after my grandfather had passed away, and my daughter was only four or five months old. This is back in 1999. And I smelled my grandfather's lawnmower shop all over my daughter. It was pungent, just like it was right there. My, <laughs> yeah. my ex-wife couldn't smell it at all. It was just for me. Yeah, it was That's just right. for me. It was one of the most amazing experiences. And the other thing I do is I always acknowledge them, Lisa. Um, like I, I, my grandfather, he always smelled like campfire. He always wore that lumber jacket, and he always smelled like campfire. I always loved hugging my grandfather. Um, and I would smell that once in a while, and I would just say, Hi, put you. We called our grandparents different names. So I'd say, Hi, put you. I love you. I miss you. I'd always acknowledge them. Um, if I and I tell my clients that I said our our friends our families they visit us you might hear a song that reminds you of them maybe it was their favorite song you might smell their perfume or their cologne something might happen a memory or a dream or something and that's them coming to you so that's I always tell my clients that also. 
Back to your ET abductions, you mentioned that for a long time you have lived in fear. Do you fear them now? No, I don't. Um, I I think after 2001 is when all my fears of them went away. And then after actually getting into Reiki was the, was the is what helped me. When you asked me before, what was my coping mechanism as a child? I didn't have one. I didn't develop that until I got into Reiki and got into energy and protection. And I really believe in, in protection or energy, even just the intent of it, the thought of energy, the thought of protection. When, um, when we pray, for example, I think of that as an energy that goes out there. And it really, I really do believe in that, uh, that intent is, is what really has helped me to learn about protection. Um, and again, the 2001 story is, is the kind of the final one, which has got a lot of, a lot of things happen to me, which I would have to say at any time in my life, if I ever felt that I was going crazy, it was in 2001. Um, and you're right. There's no one to call. There's no, you know, ghostbusters or <laughs> any police you can call to, to help you. You know, the, the one thing they're going to call is maybe an ambulance to get you to the, to the, institution you know <laughs> so it gets really it was really worrisome to um like how do you tell people who do i talk to what do i say if i say this will i take my kids away thinking i'm incapable of taking care of my children you know so there are so many things that it happens when when you're going through things like this you don't really know how to handle them um and i just a lot of it i just kept quiet and didn't say too much um, as I mentioned, my children's father didn't believe anything I went through. Um, he slept through it all. And that's one of the things, too, for people who who don't know. Um, sometimes they'll take your spouse or sometimes they'll just leave them there sleeping. And they, I, I don't know if he's had any experiences. He's never once talked about them. Claudia has a question in the SOR Space Travelers Club. She is asking, Allison, have you ever seen yourself split, like seeing yourself somewhere else? Or do do you stay as one person throughout your experiences? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, I would say I have a few times stepped out of my body. When I learned how to astral travel, I learned, um, I didn't know what it was at the time, but I used to pop out of my body a lot. And I think that was the other way of coping. Um, so I, I, there's a couple incidences that have happened to me where I've actually looked down at the things happening at me. Um, but it's only been a couple times that I've seen myself. Um, I've had a couple of very, uh, amazing spiritual experiences. Um, and one of them was when I was doing a healing circle and you asked again about how I coped as a child. And I told you how I left everything behind me. Well, in 1997, I was doing a healing circle with coworkers. Um, I'd never realized the significance or how powerful that healing circle was. When that feather was passed to me, I felt the power in that feather. I held on to that feather so tight. And every emotion that I would have kept in since a child surfaced at that moment. Every emotion, every memory, every um, um, abuse that I had endured, everything that I had went through in my life, I felt it all in that moment. I don't even know how long I was holding on to that feather, but I was holding on for dear life, and it just shook as I held on to it. And um, after all those feelings left my body, 
um, that's when the, pretty much my life changed. I went through um, days and days of crying. I couldn't figure out why I was crying. I was always strong. I always felt like I handled this really well. Why am I dealing with this now? Why am I crying for this now? Why am I feeling all these emotions? Um, so then one night I was like on day five, I, I was the type of person to write things down. He asked me about writing a book. Well, one of them was because every time I tried to write, somebody would rip it up. So I was writing my, my stories and um, the ex came in the room and he said, what are you doing? Why, hell are you, why are you writing this stuff? And he ripped up my, my story. And that night I was crying in bed and I was crying to God. And I always felt like, why is everyone says there's a God? Why hasn't he protected me? Why has, why does all these things have to happen to me? I don't. I didn't really believe that there was a God, but I still prayed to a, a God. And so I was praying. I said, please help me get over all this. I don't want to be feeling these pains anymore. And just then I had an, an experience that I saw myself on this mountain cliff with this um, native man in front of me, and he was dressed in the regalia, and he had a pipe in his hand. And as he held that pipe up in the air, he, he told me, embrace her. And I looked at myself as a little girl in front of me, and she was in front of me. I was in front of me as a little girl, and I hugged her, and I said, I'm so sorry. I didn't protect you. I'm so sorry. I didn't tell anybody, and um, I love you, and um, I, I wish I could have made some. I wish I could have spoke for us. I was so scared. I was such a scared little girl, and so as I was holding her and hugging her and embracing her, I was swaying back and forth, and I looked down, and I was hugging myself. And that little girl wasn't running me, it was me. And um, he told me, um, he raised the pipe in the air and he said, now let it go, now let it go. So I put my hands in the air and everything left me. All those emotions of, of everything I had felt were gone. And that was pretty much the start of my healing path. It was that point. Um, I started to really accept who I was and what I'd been through. I, I still didn't understand it yet at that point. I was just starting to come into it and understand what I was going through and um, still not really knowing why, but um, accepting it was the first step. Follow-up questions from Claudia for you. Do you know when you are astral traveling now and in spirit body when you are astral traveling, have you seen your body in the bed when you leave? No, um, I typically don't. I usually just focus on the destination I'm going to, and I just kind of just show up there. I just call it, um, yeah, spirit traveling. I don't really call it astral traveling. When I used to astral travel, yes, I used to leave my body, and I would see my body, and, I'd, and then I'd go, and I'd come back the same way. Now it's different since I got into Reiki because I can do distance healing. So I kind of do the distance healing when I'm traveling to people now. It's like I'm just there. So it's different now. Back to extraterrestrials. When were you or how old were you when you actually made face-to-face contact with your first ET? Um, that would have to be uh, the 97 when I had this face-to-face with the gray, the gray that chased me with the, um, with the uh, lasers in his belt. I was hiding underneath the table, the picnic table. I was outside, and I was under the picnic table, and I was wondering, this is happening in the daytime. Like, this is not usual. Um, 
and he grabbed me and the way he grabbed my arm, I could, like, I could still feel like the, the grip of the arm because it was like the long fingers and he grabbed my arm and I couldn't move. And I was face to face with this gray and it looked like it had protruding eyes like sticking out. But when I pushed it, cause he was so close to me, I pushed his face away and it felt like silly putty. If you've ever Remember what silly putty feels like? That smooth, cool. That's exactly what this face felt like. And my fingers went through the eye socket, so it felt like it was actually a mask. And as I pushed it away, my fingers went through the eye socket. And I woke up with that feeling on my hand for hours. I couldn't get rid of that feeling, that sensation. With all your contact experiences, have you ever tested it out with a black light to see if any part of your body is glowing from where they injected you or, or were working on you? Um, I didn't understand or learn about that until the most recent, like five years, five years ago. Um, so I haven't had any experiences that I'm aware of since 2001. So, um, no, I didn't know about the black light. I'm often thinking I need to get one, even though my experiences are far and few between. The wife seems to go quite a bit every now and again. Mm. But she's lucky. She gets the benevolent side. Yeah. Um, um, so we don't have much time, but I figured I would try to share a little bit of what happened in 2001. 2001, yes. Yeah, so let's go for it. We got about exactly 18 minutes. Okay. Um, so 2001, I was working with a few local actors who are First Nations actors, and they were aware of my experiences, and they are the ones who encouraged me to actually do a project. And we had the means to do it. We had the actors. We had the uh, producers and directors who could make this happen. So there I was working on a project that took me four months to get this thing together. Um, in the four months, I presented it to Space Channel and APTN and ICB News, which is local to Edmonton at the time. And they were so fascinated with the work I've done in such a certain amount of time, but also um, the story idea. And so during this time, um, I was almost done, but I was having those weird feelings again. So this is, I, I go by date when I, when I tell a story, as you probably already noticed. Um, so Feb, uh, it was February 14th. Uh, 2001 and I was working on my project um, while I was at the computer and I was dedicated like I became obsessed with my project I was pretty much at my computer probably 18 hours of the day uh, during this time getting it together and while I was working on that I had that eerie feeling again I hadn't had it in a while so there was a lot of years that there was nothing for a bit it kind of came in spurts once in a while. But I was having that feeling again in the back of my neck that someone was watching me. And I went to the kitchen window, and then there was a huge flash. And that flash blinded me like I was seeing spots everywhere. And for some reason, I just went straight to bed. I, that's not me. I'm, I was still going to sit for hours. <laughs> um, I went straight to bed, and I, I had a shared experience with my son. He was only three at the time. You talked about your son being three. Um, so my son was three. His name is Aaron. He's the middle child. When I was pregnant with him, I was told I was carrying my protector uh, by an elder. An elder told me he was my protector. Um, he proved that right and, and during this time. But so the, um, we were, the experience that I had was very odd, um, strange. I still yet have not found anybody who, who's had similar experiences to this. 
Um, if you have, I'd like to talk to them also. Um, so I dreamt, again, I'm going again dreaming, um, that there was 10 panthers in my backyard. Uh, two of them came on their hind legs, like they were standing, walking like, like a man, and they came onto all fours, and they were all like in my backyard, snarling, angry. They looked like their all their fur was up on their neck, and they had big, bright yellow eyes. And one was at my door trying to get in, and then he turned into a relative um, um, for one of my relatives who's in the audience right now, um, was my cousin Raymond, and he was at the door. I said, I know who you are. I'm not letting you in. And then as soon as I said that, he turned back into a panther. But three of those panthers jumped on this tree that was in our backyard. That tree was so close to the house that the branches used to rub on the kid's glass uh, window. And after I saw all these panthers, I woke up to my son screaming. And he said, Mommy, Mommy, there was three big black cats that came from the window. And one was walking on my, on my bed, and it was heavy on my legs. And the other is under the bed, and the other one's in the closet. And he was so scared. And he used to have a lot of um, uh, stuffed animals on his bed. And he was really upset. Um, and I, and I, I was scared. I thought, what? How could this be? Like my son's having this. I saw three panthers jump on his tree, and he saw three of them enter in from that, that window. And he said, Mommy, he said, they told me you have to stop what you're doing or they're going to take me. And I was, I was dumbfounded. I didn't know what to say or do. I just, and I hugged him. I said, no one's going to take you, my boy. And I tried to comfort him, and he slept with me that night. Um, the next day, I was at the computer, and I was still working on my project regardless. And I'm working on the project, and I was waiting. I actually had a move on. Um, contact on my MSN messenger at the time. Of course, that was very popular then. And he was sending me information. I was, I was looking for my critic, right? I had everything else. I needed my critic now. And he's sending me this information. And during that file transfer, I had like the floppy disk of my project in a floppy disk and then plus on my computer. And the MSN messenger screen's going, uh, the, the file's moving. And then my screen went red, black, red, black, and shut right down. And my phone rang at the same time. And I looked at the phone. It said 01234567789. I answered the phone as my computer was shutting down. And it was, I heard static. That's all I heard. I hung up the phone. I turned on the computer. And everything was empty file folders on my, on my desktop. And um, everything was gone. The whole, everything, internet system was gone. Um, later on, I took my disk to another computer, and everything was wiped out of that disk also. Um, and I was devastated. My whole project was gone. My computer was hacked. I redialed the number. It didn't, didn't register. I called um, Telus to find out why, what number this came through last. I did, a, I did a search, and they said no number showed up. That number didn't show up at all. Um, I saved it at the time. I took pictures of all that, but of course it didn't, nothing, I was stuck. Um, so I went on for a few days trying to get my project together again, and I was really upset trying to find out what's going on. And the strangest thing, um, there was a car parked outside my house, and I had this big bay window, like the big window in the front of the house. And, and my mom even said, Allison, there's a car out there. They look like they're Jehovah Witnesses, but they're just sitting in their car and they just keep staring at us through the window. And so I, I noticed it. I thought, wow, I saw them there yesterday too. 
And um, so now day three comes along, and I look, and they're still out there again. And they're looking right in the window. And I'm, so I called the police. I told them, you know, there's this car outside the house. They're, they're dressed in black hats and black sunglasses and suits, and they're, they're just staring outside of my house, and they're not, you know, they, they, they haven't done nothing. Well, the, the police was very, were very rude. You know, they just said, well, there's no law against parking on the public street. Um, are they actually looking into your window? Um, you know, those type of degrading. I said, no. Um, he says, well, I can't do nothing about it. So day four, they're out there again. I get my shoes on, and I'm walking down the sidewalk to go and talk to these people, and they sped away. They drove off. Um, day five, I'm actually coming from a, an appointment, and I'm walking towards my house, and I see the car outside my house again. So I'm trying to sneak up from behind. And as I'm getting closer to the, the car, I'm trying to get the plate number. Um, I can see the guy looking up from the side mirror. He's looking right at me. And this starts to drive away. And I'm now I'm running. <laughs> I'm running for the car. And I said, I know who you are. You know, <laughs> now I'm becoming really upset. Um, and <clears throat> so now I've got my computer back up running. I've got part of my project on the go. I'm ready to go at it again. And... Um, my son and I had another shared dream, and this time they almost got him in the dream, the Panthers, and um, he woke up screaming again. He said, Mommy, Mommy, you didn't stop. You're not listening to them. They're going to take me. Um, and so I, I decided to, um, I was getting spiritual help online, and um, the lady who was helping me uh, talked about reclaiming my life. She said, there was a contract, and I saw that earlier, that there's a contract that our people might have made with the um, ETs back in whenever uh, that would have been, but they didn't have an ending on that contract. And she told me that you have the power to stop that contract. You can break it. And so I decided to reclaim my life. And so she gave me this Hebrew prayer for my son and I to say, and we were to recite these words, and it meant, this is my body, this is my light. She may not enter my body or my light. Um, and we said that ten times over, and we prayed, and I smudged. I did everything I could to try to find protection. And she taught me about uh, a bubble of protection around my family and my home. And so we did, I, I started to do all that. And that night, though, I was so upset that my son was having this shared experience with me that I screamed out and said, you do not have permission. It ends with me. I will sacrifice my life for my children. It ends with me. You will not take my children. And and for I sacrifice my life, I said, I'll take my life for my children. Um, that very next morning, I woke up and I was sick. I, I I didn't. I've never experienced vertigo before. This was more a little bit worse than vertigo. Um, I couldn't tell which way was up. If I was walking, I felt like I was walking on the ceiling or on the wall. Um, I, I had no balance whatsoever, and my eyes were rolling, constantly rolling. I couldn't focus. Um, it was horrible, and I was listless again. I was back to being really listless. Um, I, I couldn't breathe. I was um, talking at the, ex- at the end of my breath because that's all I could get out was just a few little short breaths. And um, I remember telling my ex, I said, um, I think I'm dying. I think I'm dying. I think they're going to take me. I told them to take me. And um, he said, yeah, yeah. And, and I said, take me to a hospital. I said, I'm really sick. And he said, I'll take you to a mental hospital. Um, 
So he didn't believe anything that we had been going through, even though my son was telling daddy, daddy, these big black cats are talking to me and they're telling me they're going to take me. And he didn't, he said I was putting things in their head. And um, so after I was crying um, and praying and I, I, I just told them, to, I said, I tell the boys I love them and tell them I'll watch over them from the other side. And um, he just ignored me, right? He ignored me and I kissed the kids. I, they all came to me because I couldn't move. And I, I hugged them and I loved them. And I just told them, you know, like, I love you guys. And I carried them and everything. And I thought that was the end of my life. And um, the next morning I woke up um, and I prayed that night. I prayed really hard that night. Uh, probably the most sincere prayers of my life was probably that night. Um, and the next morning, my Aaron, the one who's had these experiences with me, jumped up on the bed. Mommy, mommy, a man came to my room last night, and I just started crying. First of all, I woke up perfectly fine. And um, he said, a man came to my room last night, and he told me we don't have to worry anymore, that he's here to protect us. And I said, what? He said, nothing bad's going to happen to us anymore. It's over, mommy. He told me to tell you it's over. Nothing is going to happen to us again. And I said to him, well, what did he look like? And he told me um, he looked like he was dressed up in a white nightgown. Because this is a two-year-old, three-year-old talking, right? He was dressed in a, in, a, in a big, long, white nightgown. And he was glowing like my glow worm. He looked like a light bulb in the house, in my room. He lit up my whole room. And he was bald on, on, on his head. And he had a mustache on his chin. He only knew what mustache was. He didn't know what beard was. He said he had a mustache on his chin, and he said he's here to protect us. Um, that, I would have to say, was our very last experience. Um, and after that, I felt different. Um, I woke up feeling fine that time. I felt different. I felt that something was going to be different from here on in. And, and, but I had promised that I wasn't going to tell my story. That was the other thing, too, was I promised I was going to tell my story. Um, and that was the condition I had made, you know, that I won't tell my story then because obviously they didn't want me to tell my story. Um, so that's what happened with that, and that was um, in 2001. And here you are now feeling comfortable to tell that story. Yes. Yeah. Do you expect or hope or do you have any safety knowing that there may not be repercussion from telling this? Um, I, I have my, my thoughts about, about that. Um, and I have told my story to different people, um, just friends. Um, I've told the story to a couple of people in Wabasca and we had an experience that night. Um, there was a red orb above my house. They thought I summoned the UFOs. They actually were really scared. They thought I did it on purpose. <laughs> Well, I think that uh, we're pretty lucky to have you on the air. So it's been 15 years since you've had your last extraterrestrial experience then. That I'm aware of, yes. I've had many other experiences, but not that I feel is relating to these. Getting back to that question when I asked you earlier about the tie-in between paranormal events as well. Samantha Mowat, who was on this show last night, she does a monthly show on this uh, program here. 
and she believes there is a big tie-in between extraterrestrials and paranormal activity. Do you think that some of the spiritual activity you have witnessed is maybe the extraterrestrials in a spirit form? I actually do believe that, yes, there are many, many different dimensions or doorways, and I, I do believe that once you have an experience with one, you can most definitely have an experience with another. Um, and I really do feel like once that doorway is open, that messages coming in and out will will be will flow more freely. And um, I do believe that there's a time I actually was told by one of those messengers um, that um, I was a beacon in the night. She said, you're like a beacon in the night. You attract both positive and negative, but you have to learn how to protect yourself because you're so wide open and you're so loving and you're so trusting. You need to hone that in because not only are you experiencing positive and negative in, in energy and spirit, but also in people. And she was so right. It was like, it was like, yeah, my one friend called me uh, the Pied Piper, actually. And I told her, don't call me that. You just cursed me. <laughs> well, you know what? We hope that you are not cursed after doing this show because I'm already getting questions in the chat rooms on when you are coming back on because people need to hear more of you and more of your story. You are an amazing, amazing individual. And I do have to say this, and I'm sure I speak for all of our audience, the strength that you have shown in speaking about your stories tonight has been phenomenal. And I don't know where you get that strength from. Maybe you're just, you've cried enough or you've been too tired enough or you've been angry enough where you just thrown your hands in the air and said, all right, whatever, this is what's happened. But it's an amazing piece of strength that you have to be able to sit here for three hours with complete strangers and tell your story tonight. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, to you and everybody who joined uh, the chat. Um, I, I do feel blessed that I was given this opportunity to, to speak. Um, I also do look forward to coming back again, and I will can bring other people with me to speak also, which will help, you know, at least give a different perspective of other people's um, experience. I think that would be great. And you're a Reiki master as well. A Reiki. That's right. Mm-hmm. I always get corrected by one of our audience. It's Reiki, not Reiki. <laughs> so, yes, my wife is as well. And, you know, do, do you have a website or anything that you could uh, throw on out there while we're there? You know, I, I wish I did. I was working on one on Wix.com. I was cheating. I was making my own. Um, once I find it, I'll I'll share it on to you. Awesome. I don't have it on. You did a fantastic job tonight, Allison. I want to say thank you so much for being on Spaced Out Radio tonight. It has been an absolute pleasure, honestly. Like, this is so synchronistic, the way this came together. Uh, I love when this stuff happens. I don't know how to explain it, but I love it. And it was all on you tonight. It was all on you, Allison. Well, and it was one thing I'll mention was that it was it was the anniversary date that just passed on October seventh um, of the the first night of our experience. So oh, to wow. me, it was also like meant to have been right because it was yeah October seventh. So we're October 
12th today, 13th. So. Yes. <laughs> Allison, you yeah. hold on. I'm going to wrap this thing up. I'll be right with you momentarily. We got Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal of Guns N' Roses, formerly, who does all of the music here. So if you're on the Spaced Out Radio side, you're listening to Bumblefoot's Little Brother is Watching that takes us out of every episode. Yeah, this one went way too fast tonight, Trip. I agree with you there. Way too fast. What a guest. You know, sometimes you just say, wow. And tonight was one of those nights I strongly believe, space travelers, that we were wowed by Allison Yellowney. We're going to get her on soon again. I am pretty amazed by that. If you want to listen to this episode or any others, you can go to TuneIn, iTunes, or our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio. Tomorrow night, Barry Strom. We're going to channel some conspiracies with Moo tomorrow night. Glad you were along for the ride, everyone. This has been a good, good night, and we will do it all again in exactly 21 hours from now. I'll be here. Will you? Find us all over Facebook. we got some new groups posted up there as well. We'll talk to you tomorrow night. I am your host, Dave Scott, and I am out for the night. Have a good one.